And there came a day unlike any other when Earth's mightiest heroes found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, they became the Avengers. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Third Degree Burn podcast. I am your host, your guest host. Our recording begins here in this studio. Here, where the founders of the show, Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes, remain in their corruptible, mortal state. There's no turning back now. <laughs> and that's what you get when you compare me to Paul Freese. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good Paul Freese. Yeah, that was really good. Now i got to do my imitation of me. There we go. <laughs> Right. Oh, mm. how are we doing? This is a special treat. Uh, yes, yes. Gene Hendricks here. Gene Hendricks of the Hammer Strikes and whatever other podcasts are you doing? Anime Freaks. Yeah. Anime Freaks. Well, yeah, the, the Hammer Strikes is kind of on hiatus just due to life. Uh, Anime Freaks, Dr. Bill and I have recorded two more episodes for that, which will uh, that'll start showing up again once the new Two True Freaks website shows up. Uh, what I do, the Quantum Cast with Adam Worth, that is uh, currently on hiatus again due to life. Uh, that will be coming back probably in March. Keep your ears open for that whole storyline. But the main thing I'm doing right now is I am part of the Akadekagonagon Theater Works, and we are this. It's a, a group of people doing voice acting. And it's run by Thomas DJ and Chris Honeywell, both of the Honeywell Experiment on Two True Freaks. And the main thing there that we're doing is adapting Strangers in Paradise. But we have just signed with Ron Randall to do an audio adaptation of his Trekker comic. So exciting wow. stuff going on. That is, that wow, that's pretty. Uh, that's that sounds almost professional. Well, you, Almost, I mean, Gene, you got the voice and face for radio, so you're Thank you. perfect for this. <laughs> well, that's that's actually part of what was going on is I wanted to see if I can get more into doing voice acting, and then this thing comes up with with Tom and Chris, and I was like, hey, maybe I could you know be one of your background voices. Oh yeah, come on, and then it just kind of progressed. <laughs> Well, I mean, think think about back. You know, if you're a voice actor, you don't have to go to a studio. You can do it from home. You can, I mean, you can make a good living, especially doing cartoons and video yeah. games. And well, you've done a little in front of the camera, didn't you? Do some Star Trek shorts and things. Yeah, in your younger I, days. The um, the Star Trek fan club I was a part of, the USS Justice. We did four three of them have been released the fourth one is supposed to be released uh actual star trek episodes based between the original series crew and next gen hmm very cool kind of like a so were you on an ambassador class or we were on a saladin class which is a destroyer (laughs) so we uh if you look at the old franz joseph technical Mm -hmm. manual they had the heavy cruiser, which was the Enterprise. Right. Then you had a scout slash destroyer, which was the primary hull, the neck, and then one nacelle. Okay. See, uh, back in the 90s, I was part of a chapter of the Starfleet the International fan club. Yep. And they That's were the what jo- the USS Justice is. <laughs> and the, the Joshua, which was the one here in, in Dallas, was, uh, was one of those. 
and then uh, another group formed over in Fort Worth, so I migrated there, and that was the Comanche, which was a Galaxy class. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the wasn't the I think it had two it had well, two nacelles, but from the Kelvin universe, that first ship we see that's got Kirk's father on it doesn't it have a that's the Kelvin the, the Kelvin yeah it yeah. has um, one nacelle and a primary hull, but they were kind uh, of opposite of each other. Yeah. 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 That was weirdness. Or secondary like hull. The, it was secondary I mean, hull. Yeah. I always like the dreadnought, which had like three, three nacelles and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, just a... Or actually, if I was going to pick a ship, I'd pick the... Uh, uh, it's not the Galaxy class. It's the the one from the Wounded. It's the... Oh, the Phoenix? It's, the Phoenix. It's got a big, almost like a big weapons pod on the top of it. And then oh, the sails yes. on the top mm-hmm. and go down. Yeah, it's like the uh, next-gen version of the Miranda class. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But it's more, of a, it's more of a warship, even though they would tell you... Starfleet doesn't build warships. Uh-huh. The Defiant was our first warships. Like, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> it doesn't no. matter. I mean, the Galaxy class can wipe out anything anyway. You don't want to call it a warship. But... Yeah. Yes, folks, Star Trek geeking is always possible at third degree burn. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you, Gene. <clears throat> yes. What rank did you hold? I retired as captain. I actually I went through everything. I, I ended up being the the CEO of the chapter for a few years. Oh, so okay. I, Excellent. I progressed through and got to captain. Uh, Michelle got to Lieutenant commander, I believe. I don't think she progressed to commander, but you know, so it was, it was fun. And chapter still going strong. A lot of people I know, a lot of people I haven't met yet. So, but they're in New Jersey. I'm not going to be meeting them anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> now that the chapter that, that I was in, the Comanche has since gone the way of the Dodo. Uh, been decommissioned a long time ago. The Joshua's still around, and John Coward is running that one there. Mm. Back in 1993, though, the Comanche mm. actually held the first, uh, like the biggest fan-run convention in Textrek 93. Oh wow! And uh, just it was a, a the, it was a charity convention, so all of, all the the profits that the convention itself made went to the Arlington Women's Shelter. Nice. And uh, Sarah. Hugh back then that was her name I don't know what it is now uh, was the uh, was was the person that, that basically she was a chapter CEO back then and she put it all together we had uh, Cole Meany, George Takei and Grace Lee Whitney as the the major guests oh, and, and nice. of course Excellent. Shane Johnson uh, if you've ever read Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise was also yes. a guest there and Shane's a personal friend of mine of course now Shane is Laura Johnson and um gone through some some life changes but uh it was that that was one of the most fun conventions i'd ever attended and all that was because of starfleet and of course it, that was also the starfleet national convention that year uh held there so it it was huge just huge and a lot of fun and um you know of course today the trek conventions are so different and and of course starfleet as a fan organization, doesn't seem to be as prominent as it, as it was back then. But I don't know. It probably has more members now than it ever did. It. I. I haven't looked recently because when when I I left North Jersey, I basically stopped being a member. Mm-hmm. But I noticed. See, part of what Tales of the Seven Fleet was, uh, well, what it was supposed to be, was we were going to do every. You know, try and get stories of all of the ships in Region 7, which was our area of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And what the – see, with us, we based our characters on 
characters will be rolled up for the Decipher role-playing game. So we had we were already playing you know, with these characters. They had built-in weaknesses, like, for example, my character, who was the chief engineer, was racist against Klingons. And we're, you know, I played with that quite a bit in, in there. But when we tried to get other ships involved, they wanted to be, one, themselves. <laughs> two, use their Starfleet rank. Yeah. And we tried to explain to them, well, listen, you can't have a ship that's got three admirals on it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> but, you know, they were so honed in on, well, I earned this rank through Starfleet. Yeah. and, and Did you? <laughs> I, I mean, I've had a number of situations. Now, I, I was a game master back in the day, and I would run these people through these scenarios like they wanted there. And again, that was back at a time when the ranks hadn't exploded because, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, the, the people got promoted up real, real fast, especially if you just joined a chapter and all of a sudden were chapter CO or, or a head of a department um, or, or executive officer, you became a commander, lieutenant commander, whatever. And then these people would just keep getting promoted to captain, commodore, admiral, fleet admiral, vice, right. you know, special <laughs> super president, fleet admiral, emer- emeritus, whatever. you know, it just kept getting ridiculous. But with those that, that were interested in role playing. None of them ever got up into that actual ranking area. I, so I, ne- I never ran into the three admirals at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did enjoy the the gaming aspect of it. It was it was fun. But it wasn't everybody. There were just certain people that wanted to do that, while others wanted to do their arts and crafts or whatever, or, or picking apart the movies, books, whatever, TV shows or whatever. But you know, again, it was a good group of people, and they all came together whenever you needed something. If, if someone had a uh, an, an issue of tragedy or whatever everybody just came together and uh, it was a good group of people to be with yeah. oh yeah I, yeah I, I think a, a girl that I dated for a while her father was I know because they're in Fort Worth so they're in Holtzum City uh, and he was big into one of the Trek chapters there in uh, Fort Worth so I don't know if you might have known him or I thought Joshua sounds familiar I don't mm-hmm. know um I can't remember his, his last name is Christmas, so you probably remember. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know yeah. him. Yeah, I dated his daughter for a while. We're still friends with him, but um, he was big into the, he was a big Star Trek fan. Um, there's there's supposedly a big chapter here in Vegas, but I've never reached out. Of course, now you can't really do anything, but I haven't reached out to. I met them back when anybody. Um, uh, we went out there for. Uh, golly, it was a, a, but this is back when the Hilton still had the Star Trek experience. Mm-hmm. And we had a group go out there. I think it was for uh, a wedding. Uh, one of our one of our friends uh, decided to go ahead and get married. And he wanted to get married out there, uh, you know, at the chapel. Oh, love. Um, <laughs> well, they couldn't get married. It. She got married in Quarks because I've seen weddings there. Well, they couldn't oh. afford it. Oh, yeah, that's expensive. I mean, you're talking a couple thousand dollars to do a wedding either at Quarks or on the bridge of the Enterprise. And it was the Enterprise D, and they would have rather get married on the Enterprise, the original Enterprise. No bloody A, B, C, <laughs> or D. But um, it, it, it still, we were able to go and uh, ran through the Star Trek experience several times and uh, get pictures on the bridge and, uh, and, and other places. And, and, of course, we met uh, the, the local chapter there and went to Quarks and drank a lot of blue stuff and other stuff. And 
it turns it's green. Your, it turns your teeth blue, by the way. Well, I'm, oh, I'm, really? <laughs> well, I'm curious if any of the chapters integrate, uh, like, you know, whether you want to call it the new timeline, which would be Kelvin or even Discovery and Picard, because that seems to kind of divide a lot of fans. You when, know? It, when a chapter forms, they decide what what generation and what, what you know, they're going to mm-hmm. be. The Joshua was original series... Um, yeah, you know, it looked like the original series Destroyer, so it had that same aesthetic as uh, original Enterprise. The Comanche, of course, was next gen, as it was a galaxy class vessel, and so they chose these, and so that would be the theme. But when you had the chapter meetings, you'd invariably have people come in uniform, and they just got you know the whatever uniform they could, whether it was next gen, the Monster Maroons. Love people love to wear the Monster Maroons, and we had this guy um, Elmer Sweat who worked for the Wax Museum, which is oh. over in, uh, in uh, let's see, uh, Carrollton. Not too far from, from where you live, I don't think. Mm. Um, and uh, the Max, Wax Museum and Ripley's, believe it or not, um, were there as, as the thing. And he would make the costumes for all the wax figures. And he made a bunch of Monster Maroons for several of the people. Nice. The, the next-gen outfits were, were very easy for him to do, mm-hmm. so he didn't have any trouble with that. Um, the ones that he hated were the uh, first season of next-gen, where it was more like pajamas. Uh, yeah, but those, are, see, those are not very jumpsuit. forgiving. You, no, you've got to be in pretty good shape if you want to wear those. I wouldn't wear one. But, and most but, of us were not in good shape back then. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would just, I mean, I was, it's more of, yeah, if you're a, next, if you're a chapter and you're, you're playing in the next-gen timeline, you would acknowledge TOS and that because the the show acknowledges that. But there's so much, and I don't want to get on a soapbox of what's good and what's bad, but there's so much dislike for the new stuff, Discovery and Picard, that a lot of older fans of the the Berman era, you know, the what we had before they came up, don't seem to want to, to acknowledge it or deal with it. So I just wonder if... Somebody came in if the, if there are if they would let somebody if they would let somebody who's a discovery fan play in their sandbox. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, usually the the at least when I was part of it, Starfleet was big enough that you would be able to find others. Like in just mm-hmm. in North Jersey, there was five chapters. You know, spread out, but still there you had. Next Gen, you had Movie Era, you had TOS. So you would be able to find, even if it was a little ways away from where you were, you would be able to find a group. And I'm sure that they've got Kelvin and Discovery and Picard ships, you know, chapters now. Yeah, Yeah. in in Fort Worth, they they, they not only had the Comanche, there was uh, the Vindicator, which I think was actually out of another city. Jonathan Simmons ran that chapter. And he was also like this guy that helped new chapters coming in to shuttle off of other ships mm-hmm. and then turn into full-blown chapters. <clears throat> and they would... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm choking on McDonald's. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, There's a metaphor in there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> choking on the clown? No, no. Thanks, no. Um, but uh, that they... Out. They uh, they had other types of chapters, like they would have correspondence chapters, and this is you know early in the internet days, but um, the, 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 where people would be you know living way out in Podunk that would want to be part of a chapter, but don't really have a way of participating 
in the regular way, not able to show up to chapter meetings and such because they're mm-hmm. so far away. So they would just, as a correspondence chapter, do everything over the internet or actual mail. And I know the Freedom 3, which was a, a space station, was uh, one of those. And then there was the Panther City, run by Mark Vinson, uh, an old friend of mine, that uh, was like a space station, if I remember right. And... Um, that you know, that was again. They, they were meant to be correspondence chapters, so they didn't actually have to have physical meetings. Right. Yeah. And today, that, that would be so much easier. I mean, I mean, that's what everybody's doing right now. Anyway. Well, now, it's, yeah, you could just do do a, a Zoom, Zoom call. Yeah. 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 I was at an anime uh, club for I don't know, maybe six months. That met once a month at the downtown Fourth Library, and that's when was that anime Tommy was, Van, was that Tommy Van Hook's club. I cannot remember. I can't even remember the name of it. I, I, uh, it was kind of cool because it was, you know, I was into anime and there wasn't a lot of other people that were into it. And, uh, it, that's before anime was readily available. I mean, you were, you were going to hunt to down me. VHS. Tapes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I worked at the very first Akon here in Fort Worth with Tommy Van Hook and, and that club. And I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. I can't um, either. It was, um, yeah. And it was, Sometime after that, uh, not not too long after that, um, he and his group worked with the Star Trek fan club um, as security for uh, Walter Koenig's uh, book signings. Hmm. And so I got to meet Walter Koenig uh, a second time there, because I met him the first time at that Hilton when I had that interesting encounter with him. If you want to hear about that, listen to one of our previous Star Trek episodes. Uh, (laughs) Well, this was like 80... It would have been 85, maybe 86. It was kind of the height of yeah. Robotech, Matt Cross time. Um, okay. And everybody kind had of a like, serious mat on and hate for Min May. That's when I got, well, yeah, that's <laughs> when I got, uh, uh, that's when I kind of get, um, and, you know, you would go to conventions and you would be watching a non-dubbed third, fourth, sixth generation of something that they brought over. So a lot of times we were watching stuff that was all in Japanese. We had no idea what was going on, but we were like, oh, it's anime. We get to watch it, you know. So, <laughs> you know, now it's so readily available. But, well, you, you know, it, it's one of the things, one of the very first things I got introduced to when I went to my first anime convention was Akira. And mm-hmm. I remember going into one of the one of the video rooms and they had that playing and uh, I was very fortunate to catch it from the beginning. But every time something unusual would show up on screen, the whole audience would just kind of, ooh, ah. You know, it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a very visceral reaction because they hadn't seen animation that looked like that ever. Right. And I remember loving that so much. And, of course, it was in Japanese with no, with no subtitles or anything. So you had no idea what was going on. And if you've seen the movie Akira, you know, even with... Uh, Subtitles, it's hard to know what's going on. <laughs> well, yeah. even, even when it's spoken in English, even when it's dubbed in English, you're still having a hard time trying to figure out what's going on. Um, you can equate it to the Star Trek episode where no man has gone before, though, because he even has that great moment mm-hmm. where the guy comes up with the laser rifle at the end to take him on. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, so I got a copy of it that night, like a fourth or fifth generation copy, really bad copy of it. But I in, 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 in this... You know, forthcoming years, I finally got a VHS copy that was um, subtitled. Then I got a VHS copy that was dubbed. And then I bought a Laserdisc copy. Now, I don't have a Laserdisc player. I never did. <laughs> but I bought that. I also got uh, Die Hard and one other movie. 
on Laserdisc, and I had, I basically took them over to my friend Mark Vincent and let him have them. And anytime I wanted a tape, he would just burn me a new one. And so he would do that. And of course, that was also in Japanese uh, with uh, subtitles. And uh, you had that one point in the middle where it would stop so they could turn over the disc. But still, you know, it was great to have that. And then, of course, when DVDs came out, you know, I, I got I, so I, I believe I've got I've, I I have owned at one time every single iteration of it. Of course, now I've got it on Blu-ray, but now I'm waiting for that new 4K one that's supposed to come out here soon. Well, I think there's multiple, like most of that stuff. There's multiple uh, dubs and multiple. Yeah. Uh, the subtitle it varies from. Um, yeah, when I watch it now, I watch it in Japanese with no subtitles. I think that's the way. That's what I always heard. That's you get the, the most complete story uh, if you watch it uh, subtitled. It's that a, way. it's a yeah. movie that I know so well because I've watched it so many times. I don't even have to. Uh, I, I know what they're saying regardless at this point, you know, because I, I, I'd read the subtitles or listened to the English dub so many times. I know what's going on, and it's just the visuals that, that I'm, I'm watching it for anyway. And I love yeah. the original dub anyway, the Japanese dub. Yeah, it's not it's not bad. I remember Cisco. My I think my I, I want to hear was... I want to hear Yamagata go Oi Canada. <laughs> That's become a meme. Uh, I remember Cisco Niebert reviewing it. Uh, mm-hmm. when it came out and it's like, Oh, this is, what is this? Cause you know, I, I was funny as I watched, uh, uh, I was a big Star Blazers fan. I'm still a big Star Blazers fan. Me too. Um, and when I was in Japan, taste. I was, I was, I was constantly trying to find stuff and I could not find, I was looking for soundtracks cause you can't get them over here. And I found one, we went to some bookstore that was, uh, in Japan, everything is vertical. So it's like, so you know, you're looking up, ooh, great bookstores. And it was over in the uh, the the Shinjuku area. It was a big anime and bookstore area. And I can't remember the name of the, the, the neighborhood now. Anyway, you go down about four floors, and it's a huge basement, and they just had tons of toys and books and manga. And and so I'm trying to ask the guy through my iPhone translator Yamato soundtrack. You know, and then I show him a picture of. Of uh, the Yamato, like you, have, you know, he, and he he sent me a couple of them, so I was able to find uh, a couple. But I was looking for soundtracks to the series, um, and that's uh, now I've forgotten where I was going with my story. <laughs> I got to caught up in what I was saying. Uh, well, let, let me springboard off of that. Have you seen the updated Star Blazers, the twenty one ninety nine, twenty two oh two? I have. I've been watching them on uh, Funimation. Yeah. And you can watch those. Um, I've actually got the first series. I, was, I found it on eBay, I think, for about 30 bucks uh, on DVD. And mm-hmm. the I would like to get the S, but they're a little pricey. But I've been watching those. Um, and the animation's pretty good. Uh, I mean, I even like the... I'm assuming you've seen the Star Blazers uh, or the Yamato live-action yes. movie? Yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. pretty good. Uh, but now yeah, I've got a lot of the... The only issue I have with the live action is because it's the entire quest for Iskandar compressed. Mm-hmm. It's just a little too quick. You don't get you don't get the the building dread that you did in the series because it's like, oh yeah, we can just go over there, get it, come back in two hours, no problem. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I had a little problem with the the way they changed the Gamelons, um, mm. but I can't understand why they did it that way. But um, it. It helped if you're going to do it in two hours. You couldn't have. Um, uh, and I miss the 
the Star Blazers. They will fail. Deathlock. I love that Deathlock. Yeah, of course, they, I love hearing the Deathlock, 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 Deathlock. Yeah, the updated one, he Deathlock has the deepest voice in the yeah, entire show. No, no. But, I mean, that that aside, the the one thing I can say about the the newest version of Star Blazers, it is the only reboot or remake or whatever you want to call it that I've seen that not only is faithful to the original, it fills in every single possible hole from the original. Mm-hmm. Which is, you you don't get that. And they did, uh, whoever, whoever was in charge of that production knew what they were doing. They had uh, the original show inside and out in their head and oh wait we have to you know why are they shocked the gamelons look like humans when they've seen them back here well we changed that now they're they encounter robots first okay <laughs> so it, it works it works really well and, <laughs> and the fact that you know nova is the only woman on the ship anymore helps that yeah but and that's really nice you think they would if it was i hate to say this if this is made by an american audience they'd make some really sweeping changes but they did just some subtle changes to kind of update it a little bit, yeah. as you said, that now, um, uh, you know, what was it? That the ace pilot is now a woman. I can't remember. Is it Conroy no. or Connor or... Uh, she, uh, she, Yamamoto is actually a brand new character because, like, in the live action, they took Nova or Yuki, you know, depending on which version you're thinking of, mm-hmm. and they made her the fighter pilot. Okay, she wasn't the radar officer anymore. So she was she's a fighter not pilot. looking at the two big breast radar screens anymore? Right. Okay. <laughs> but then when they went back to the anime, they took that character and they split it. So now you have Yuki, who is the radar officer. And then you have Yamamoto, who is the female ace fighter pilot. Right. And then, but- then you've got you know, the the nurse and you've got the right. morale officer and all these women that are showing up. And then you even have women in the background. Yeah. And, so. well, it, make, and it makes sense. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Japan is a little, uh, you know, we, we saw that when we were over there, Japan is a little, uh, behind the times in women's rights, I think, but, or at least the way, you know, they treat women. But, um, that's why, you know, if you're going to have a show in the seventies, you're not going to have necessarily have a lot of women on it, but yeah. And that's also why uh, Nova always carried a sidearm. Yeah. Because she was the only woman. She had to be armed. <laughs> that's right. I was trying to think of the, the in the English version, the head, not not uh, Wildstar, who was, you know, because he had a different fighter. He had the... Uh, the uh, Cosmo Zero. Co- Cosmo Zero, and the yeah. others had the Cosmo Tigers. That's yes. They were. Mm-hmm. But the head, was it Conroy? What was the that, head? That was Conroy. Conroy, okay. The kind of head. He's still on the new show, isn't he? Because he's yeah. kind of button heads with the uh, the other girl. He's the one who's uh, basically his dad was a monk and wanted him to you know go follow right. the family business. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a nice. Uh, I think it's on YouTube. There is a nice little. Uh, it's about an hour long documentary on Yamato about uh, how it how it started. You know, and how it became, you know, oh, we're going to do a movie. No, no, that's too successful. Now we're going to do a second season. Then we're going to do a third season. Uh, and then, it, you know, then he started going to the movies and how it's it's pretty popular, you know, um, over there. And I've never, I, I've got it, but I've never watched the third season because it wasn't available on our station when it was broadcast here in Texas. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think Wars, I've never seen it. 
Yeah, I think I've seen it once, but years and years ago. I don't have any memory of it. It was also extremely short. You know, the and, third and season is only half the length. Now, the the memory that I have of all this is that while there was the TV series, which you know ran whatever 12, 24 episodes, uh, and then the Boulder Wars was only like twelve episodes. Is that right? Is that like what you were saying there? Yeah. But yeah. they also made two hour movies of each one, but the two hour movies were uh, more of a Japanese aesthetic with uh, uh, characters getting killed and blood and other things. Yeah. So, that, you know, like the the. The finale of the Comet Empire movie mm-hmm. has Wildstar and Nova destroying the Yamato to destroy the Comet Empire. Right. So, but that's you can't do that if you want to have a third series. Yeah, that's 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 a Riva Dirty Yamato, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Um, uh, yeah, some Be Forever Yamato, I think, is the name of it. Yeah, is that in it? Japanese. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. They're, the movies are more or less their their own reality. <laughs> they're like they're off in this universe, yeah. not the same. But then again, the manga is also its own reality, which is because that was being written as the same time at the same time as the TV show. And I've I've read the manga. It's actually a really thick volume. And if you haven't seen the TV show, it will not make a damn bit of sense. <laughs> Because he dropped their their whole story arcs are just gone. It's like you know they're they're at Mars and oh now we're at Pluto. Wait, yeah. <laughs> you know there's this whole thing with Jupiter and that you didn't and Saturn that you didn't do and Captain Harlock's in it. Ah. Well, he was originally I think supposed to be in the first one and then he for some reason he didn't you know he didn't make the shakeout and then he kind of yeah. became his own. Uh, but. But in the, in the Yamato manga, he is entirely covered. He's like walking around with a sheet over his head. <laughs> and he's he's called the cyborg pirate Captain Harlock. <laughs> it's it's because it, the the creator, he was writing both things at the same time as like, I want to work this character in. And Harlock shows up at Iskandar at the end. <laughs> it's like, and okay. you see him, he's, he's like in the... He shows up in the the distance between the galaxies, between the uh, Milky Way and the Magellanic Cloud, and helps them out somehow, and then he's gone. But then all of a sudden he's at Iskandar. He's like, how did he get to Iskandar? What's going on here? <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you could get there that fast, why don't we take a ride with you? Yeah, and then he starts in the Comet Empire in the manga, and then it, it ends. It dies. Like, when the, um, I don't even think they get to Telzark in the manga as just it's it ends so wow. yeah i've i've got it because i think i picked it up because i think you when you when you got your copy you kind of posted on facebook hey look what i got and i immediately yeah. went to amazon and said oh i gotta get this too so <laughs> i bought it but i haven't read it um yeah i uh like i said if you're not familiar with the show which luckily you are it won't make it any, any sense at all if you are familiar with the show it's a nice curiosity it's it's nice to read and say, oh well, okay. I can see the artwork is is basically the same. I know these characters, but yeah, there are, there are whole huge sections of it that are just gone. Yeah, well, it's like the who put it out as comics, and I've got all the the their is it Comico who put out the Star Blazers adaptation. Yes, it's Comico. almost like a, yeah. it's almost like a photo novel. Um, Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've just taken screen grabs, you know. But I've got a lot of the uh, perfect manuals, if you've ever seen those. 
the big. No. They're big. Um, got two of them for Yamato. And they're big, oversized, uh, black and white. And they're just almost like schematics and detailed drawings and sketches of all the tech and everything inside. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. They're really cool, yeah. I think I'd seen those books at like Suncoast Video back in the day. Mm. Or something. I found them at a comic store in Denton, but uh, yeah. it's it's hard to find your modern stuff now. I mean, if you go into uh, a section that has a lot of anime, at least for DVD or Blu-ray, you don't ever see any Yamato no, stuff. It's, the it's all the current is stuff. So flooded with so many different titles and things, and you know, my son, he's uh, you know on, on filmation and Crunchyroll every day, looking at you know different stuff and new stuff, and he's always trying to show me stuff, and I'm just like. Uh, okay, has it got demon in the title? I'm not interested. Because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> they got a lot of demon stuff in their in their uh, repertoire. I'll say I don't I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. But I well, am watching I am watching Fire Force with him right now, which I find that one rather interesting. And, I don't think I'm familiar with. I'm not familiar. I mean, I don't know a lot of the new stuff. Uh, I'm I'm more that you know when I was into it in the '80s, I knew that stuff. Yeah. And then the Goblin stuff. Slayer. We're watching Goblin Slayer, Attack on Titan. Um, mm. Which the new Attack, one comes, yeah. that comes out here, what December? The last t- Attack on Titan season or movie or whatever. Um, it's something like that, yeah. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Now, thank you, Gene, for telling us what all podcasts you're on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> how we started this. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> how we started this because we haven't even told anybody what we're covering today. You could you could cut this and turn this into and here's this anime freaks. Here's your new show right yeah. there. That's the first thirty minutes of this. But, uh, I mean, as you all know, of course, Gene uh, is a huge Quasar fan. And, uh, of course, John Byrne did get a chance to write some Quasar in uh, the Avengers series. So, naturally, we're not covering that issue. No, why would we do that? (laughs) We're going to cover the one right after it. Avengers 312, smack dab near the beginning of the Acts of Vengeance storyline. Uh, and th- this right here is going to be a-, a little different from um, our-, our episodes. Of course, last week when we covered the New Visions, uh, it was the Fumetti, so it wasn't standard burn-drawn art. Uh, this one here, Avengers 312, is actually just John Byrne writing and Paul Ryan and Tom Palmer on the art. And so, uh, you know, there's I-, I-, I have some interesting comments in there. The, the most notable comment of, of the whole book is, is that Avalanche keeps looking like Rom to me. Uh, it said Helmet. Yeah, it said Helmet it is. It, yeah, it said yeah. Helmet. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, this was a fun read, and it made me makes made me go around, and I, I read, like, the Thor issues and Iron Man issues and, um, and, and some other things that were going on around then and the Avengers issues before and after this. And uh, now I'm going to have to go back and just start from the very beginning, but I don't have... All the books that are actually in the uh, that that are actually in that because um, I was looking at your list there and like I don't have the damage control. Oh, I do have damage control. I don't have the Avengers spotlights. Issues. Oh, okay. I I think they're on Marvel Limited. I haven't looked recently. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I can find them online somewhere. I've been lucky in finding most most things online, but. I've, I mean, I've got a pretty extensive digital collection that I got in the years before um, certain things went away um, that you know, Scott McGregor introduced me to of Ashti Scurvies. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But, uh, I mean, you know, if, if y'all aren't aware, Acts of Vengeance was one of those events that was done back in the 80s. Uh, the previous three years, the, the summer event that went across the company were all mutant-related. And so this right here was, uh, it was, John, it was, as I understand it, John Byrne actually had the idea for it. That's what I read. And mm. what he said was, you know, when I got connected to Acts of Vengeance, it was little more than the title. I suggested all the books swap villains for a month so our heroes could face challenges they had not, you know, had not before. The editors liked and assigned a bunch of swaps, such as UFOs appearing in Avengers West Coast. Unfortunately, others ignored the assignments, and we saw a lot of bad Doctor Doom stories. <laughs> and I mean, of course, I, I remember, you know, it's like when this started up, and of course, they had that beautiful burn image of the just the the shadows of the villains standing over the busted shield and broken hammer and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, it's like if Burn was doing all this, I was just like, okay, this is time for the first geekasm. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then one of the one of the books that came out was uh, Daredevil versus Ultron. And I was just like, oh my god, Daredevil's gonna die! <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uneven. <laughs> but, you know, of course, that was back in the days when Anna Chenty was writing... And John Romita Jr. was doing the art. And uh, it turned into much more of a psychological story. And as I understand it, most of the readers fell asleep uh, during that one because it was a lot of exposition. <laughs> but a lot of the other books, you know, turned out some really, you know, interesting battles. Of course, one of the uh, Doctor Doom appearances, Doctor Doom versus the Punisher. And I don't think I even read that chapter. Did, did either of you? No. No. I was... I've... I read when I read this. I was kind of going through these last night, and I own these. But mm -hmm. this is the first time I've read them since they came off, you know, since '89. So I I have very vague memories of this, Not, even to a point where I don't realize that John Byrne was the writer. I was just um, this is kind of the tail end of when I started to kind of uh, wane off of the Avengers because I loved the Basima run up to it, and then Paul Ryan comes along, and his and that was back when they would kind of have. One artist kind of almost mimic, or their styles are very similar, so you didn't quite notice that one stopped and the other began. Yeah, and uh, uh, so I was more into into the artwork uh, than than the writer. But I don't. That's what I remember being uh, really impressed with the acts of vengeance. And I'm sure I had. The, I was reading FF, and I was reading Avengers, and I was reading Spider Man. So I think I had the core books. Uh, and I was reading Punisher, but I don't remember him fighting uh, Doctor Doom, which I think is just that's yeah, silly. it was it was but. in the regular title because <laughs> there was Punisher and then there was Punisher's War Journal, and uh, it was in the regular Punisher series. But this was like I think it was after uh, Portacio left the book, and I had stopped reading after he he'd left the book because I was there at the beginning when like Klaus Janssen was doing the art. And I, again, I'm one of those people that actually has a great love for Klaus Janssen's artwork. Mm. And even his inks, other people find him a little too scratchy. I think he's good depending on what he's doing. The he's yeah, not necessarily, all, all he's not necessarily good for everybody. Because yeah. you don't expect to see him doing Legion of Superheroes. No. but Punisher, Punisher fits in fine. Punisher, Batman, Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, and, and Wolverine, of course. You know, He does the inks on uh, Burns. Mm. And, and when Byrne was doing Wolverine, he was doing light pencils. So it was basically breakdowns, and then Klaus Janssen would come in and do the full finishes behind him. So you could see the burn pencil influence, but it wasn't as strong, and I think that turned some people off. 
But well, it's uh, interesting at Palmer. I know Palmer was inking Pasima, mm-hmm. and then he was inking Ryan when he came on. And this has a little bit of a feel. You know, we covered Starbrand. Yep. And Palmer was doing Burn, and we said this doesn't look like Burn. It Palmer's very heavy handed. He is very heavy handed. I mean, he was heavy handed on Basima. I mean, Basima did a lot of light breakdowns on a lot of the books that he did, the superhero books. He wasn't a big fan of doing all that. Uh, he preferred to do more Conan and and and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So you know, again, he if if you ever there's a Facebook group out there, you know, for the love of John Basima. And, um, you know, it's like you go in there, you look at that, and most of the pencil pages that they show are very light pencils. They're not tight like what we've been seeing from Burn uh, on Elswin or any of the pages that they reproduce on the, the various Facebook groups. So, it, it's, it, I mean, you know, when Tom Palmer comes in, he's given a lot of free reign to sit there and do, do, do with that as he wants. When, when I'm looking at the Avengers that uh, the Basima and Palmer did, I don't really see much more than beyond Basima's layouts, what I am familiar with in his pencils. And the very first book that I remember reading that was Basima was Spider-Man Superman, the second uh, mm. meeting between the two. And John Basima mm. did the pencils on that one. And that, of course, had a whole lot of different inkers. But his, John Basima's style is very, very uh, easily discernible from a lot of the other artists and when you put tom palmer's inks over it and again palmer has always been known to be a very strong inker put his own stamp on everything and we saw that with with star brand and other books so this right here when it went from basima to ryan i didn't notice much different except for the layouts themselves yeah yeah and then, then you weren't i wasn't i wasn't aware of that you know, as you know, reading comics, I was just like, oh, okay, the the arts, you know, because back then it was the artist was the star, not the writer, and now it's you know flipped, and now it's more the writer instead of the artist. But um, yeah, I think Palmer is probably if you give him tight pencils, he will ink it so it looks like the tight pencils. If you give him loose pencils, he's going to kind of do his thing, and it's going to look like Palmer, which looks mm-hmm. tends to me looks a bit like Pacina. Um but. Uh, these are a little, I think the inking in this, and maybe because I'm reading a scan, I'm not reading uh, a recolored. So mine's a little darker, a little muddy, because it's a scan of the actual book. I want to uh, check something. Talk amongst yeah. yourselves. Keep going. The, okay. <laughs> I, I think the inking is a little, uh, it's it's a little, it's a little dark in some spots. Yeah, well, there, there's also a lot of dark areas in this. Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah. uh, the Avengers are operating out of a basement, <laughs> the the whole conclave of villains is in a darkened room. But when when you get outside, you know, when they're actually in Avengers Park, I think it lightens up a bit as far as the Yeah, it does. Yeah, you yeah. yeah, you've got some um Yeah, it's not bad. I mean I like I like this style. It's funny yeah. from from now that I've you know, of course I'm doing this John Byrne podcast, I'm more aware of of him. So now we haven't covered a lot of just his writing. It's always been his writing and his art. Mm-hmm. To say his writing and someone else's art. Now I don't know how much instruction he might have given to Ryan about layouts, uh, or if it just said, "Hey, here's the story and do what you will." Uh, the whole time I was reading this, I kept thinking, "Now if Byrne had done this, I thought it'd be a little more dynamic. The panels would be opened up a little more. You'd find yeah. probably some more. Um, the battle scenes probably would have been a little more dynamic. Uh, this is really kind of classic." almost nine panel type layouts that mm-hmm. um, there aren't a lot of big, there aren't a lot of big panels. 
No, there's o- there's only a few on here. And yeah. uh, Ryan and Palmer were the art team at the very beginning of the run of uh, – the Quasar series, which is why I'm you know, kind of disposed to them. But yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's over there. So I don't think that Byrne gave a lot of art direction to them because it looks, these look just like what Paul Ryan would do mm-hmm. on Quasar. So I think it's, uh, this is all him as far as layouts. Yeah. Go. I yeah. think they had the initial, uh, you know, Byrne gave him the plot Mm-hmm. And then he drew it based on the plot, but drew it you know his own way. And then Byrne came in behind and scripted, which is the Lee Kirby method. Yeah, yeah, the Marvel method. But um. and I like how Byrne has got himself uh, you know a- after them in the credits. And whenever yeah, he, I noticed that. <laughs> whenever he did a book like when he did Iron Man and John Romita Jr. was the artist, he had John Romita Jr.'s name come first. Um, and so, you know, that's a predisposition. What's interesting is that he thinks of himself as a writer first before mm. being an artist. So, uh, you know, it's like, it, you know, make of that what you will. So you guys want me to do the uh, synopsis and all the particulars on this book? Sure. Yeah, I'm ready. I, I'm, by the way, I've got a digital copy of this that I've been looking at. It's a scan. And then I've also got the uh, Avengers Omnibus, you know, the John Byrne. Avengers Omnibus, which has this in there. It's the Avengers by John Byrne. Uh, and it's got, you know, the uh, Avengers and Avenger, Avengers West Coast and uh, the Avengers uh, printings from here. So it's got all of this. And uh, the other Omnibus that's the Marvel Universe by John Byrne also has the Avengers 181 through 191, if you're looking for those. And I notice this also has some Avengers Spotlight in it as well. I haven't read through this one all the way, but uh, damn, it's gorgeous. The uh, the reprint in there is is really good, and it uh, makes the the pencils and inks look a lot better than the digital scan that I'm looking at. So uh, if I were to go back and read these again, I definitely would read them through this rather than uh, the digital one. But that's just my opinion. I could be. Yeah, but if you weren't watching, you aren't reading the scan. You could miss this sweet ad for Sky Shark. <laughs> well, oh, unfortunately, the, Simon, the, the digital scan I've got cover. has got no ads. Or uh, let's see if it does have the letters page. Uh, it does have the letters page. But yeah, I'm, I'm reading out of the actual issue myself. Oh, okay, wow. so you're looking at you're looking at what I'm looking at because you also yeah. had a great ad for Operation Wolf. Take the Oh monsters. yes. <laughs> hey, and don't forget. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cereal. <laughs> well, you know, regarding Operation Wolf, I was in Sam's <laughs> yesterday, and they've got this new video game platform. And what it looks like, it looks like uh, a the the front of an actual arcade machine. I saw that. I saw that. Get Sam. It's, cool. it's, it's got enough buttons so you could do Mortal Kombat or Tekken, but it's also got a trackball and a dial on it because it's got discs of Tron and uh, the Super Star Wars games on it, at least I know there. But it's also got uh, internet connectability so that you can download other games via, like, MAME uh, on there. So you could play virtually any any of the video oh. games you want. They want 180 bucks for it right now. I was going to say, how much? I didn't see a price. That's, That's not was, bad. It's, it's normally, nice normally $200, and they've got it on yeah. sale. And this, I guess it's their Black Friday price because yeah. everybody's doing their Black Friday stuff uh, early. Yeah. Which uh, I found Star Wars Squadron for twenty three bucks yesterday, so uh, I grabbed that, and I'm thinking about grabbing Fallen Order too, Jedi Fallen Order. Mm. But uh, let's go back to this uh, this book here. 
Now, again, this is Avengers 312, published by Marvel, with a cover date of December 1989, on sale date October 17, 1989, cover price of a dollar, page count 32, editor Howard Mackey. This information, of course, comes from Mike's Amazing World. The title of our story is Has the World Gone Mad? Uh, it features the Avengers, and in this particular story, it features the Vision, Scarlet Witch, Hank Pym, the Wasp, and the Falcon, Sans Red Wing. Was Red Wing gone at this point, or...? I think it. I, yeah, I think he was without Red Wing for a while by yeah. now. That's that's maybe the Avengers wouldn't allow it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> written by John Byrne, pencil Paul Ryan, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Bill Oakley, colorist is Christy Scheel. Uh, the cover, of course, is uh, by Paul Ryan with inks by Tom Palmer. Now the book came out. Uh, it says here October seventeenth of nineteen eighty nine with a cover date of December nineteen eighty nine. Now. <clears throat> what we found is that they did uh, December and mid-December release cut on the cover. Uh, so I'm not sure if these were coming out bi-weekly, but uh, the previous month, uh, September, had the Avengers West Coast 52, but it also had a December cover. So, uh, December of 89 list Avengers West Coast 52 and 53, which uh, that was the plan proceed, which was also Acts of Vengeance. Batman Monthly, number 30, Classic X-Men was putting out reprints, so issues 41 and 42 were the, the finales or parts of the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, G.I. Joe Comics Magazine number 13 had a cover by Byrne. Um, oh, and the Classic X-Men, uh, that also, I believe, had a, uh, a cover by Byrne. And then uh, Avengers 311 and 312 both list December. Uh, official Handbook of the Marvel Universe number 7 and 8 which uh, both had December covers, and then Wolverine 18 and 19 had um, December covers. But I can pre pretty much be sure that what he really worked on was the Avengers West Coast 53, Avengers 312, and Wolverine 19. And everything else was something he worked on either the previous month or uh, something he had done quite a while before, like the G.I. Joe cover. There was also a Fantastic Four reprint uh, finish reprint that came out that month. Obviously, he didn't work on that then. That had to have been from years before. Anyway, you guys have any comments before I go into the synopsis on this? My only comment is uh, <laughs> the somebody needs to get on the Marvel Wiki and work on their synopsis because yeah, the synopsis I, I, for this issue is one Freedom line. Force shows up to beat up the heroes. Oh, you really? took my synopsis, Tim! <laughs> No, no. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, let me take a quick drink here. This is going to take a while. <laughs> it's, it's not as complicated as last week's Star Trek show. So. <laughs> Let's see. Ah, all right, here we go. The Avengers regroup at the sub-basement under the Avengers Park, now using that as the Avengers East Coast base after the destruction of Hydro Base. See Avengers 311 with Quasar. Loki, in his disguise as a well-dressed lackey, continues his manipulation of the major Marvel villains that have joined his conclave in their acts of vengeance. As another group, Freedom Force members Pyro, the Blob, and Avalanche attack the statues at Avengers Park in a ploy to bring out the Avengers. The Vision is the first to come out to meet them and gets punched by the Blob for his trouble. The Vision tries to attack the Blob back, but finds that the Blob's own power counters his ability to go intangible. The rest of the Avengers come up from under the sliding statues and go on the attack. 
but Avalanche is able to block them all by using his power to throw a stretch of the rocky ground at them. Then Pyro begins to attack an attack of flame, but the Wasp is able to distract him with her sting. She then quickly dodges Pyro's next attack and goes out of the way so the Falcon can swoop in and give Pyro a hard, hard flying punch across the jaw. Avalanche telegraphs his own move by thinking out loud about attacking the Falcon. Hank Pym throws and expands a gas pellet at, at Avalanche, while the Scarlet Witch hexes the ground beneath him, causing it to collapse and taking the coughing Avalanche with it. Meanwhile, the, the Vision grapples with the Blob. Vision puts his intangible arm in Blob's chest, intending to make it partially solid in an effort to take out the Blob like he has done to so many others in the past. The Blob, however, has the ability to control his own mass and traps the Vision's arm. The Blob turns quickly, smashing the Vision's body helplessly against one of the Avengers' statues. The rest of the Avengers start to work as a team, though, with the Falcon flying in and pulling the Scarlet Witch away from the falling statues, then Hank and the Wasp disable both of Pyro's flamethrowers. Without fire to use, Pyro falls back to let the others lead the offensive. The Vision informs Hank Penn that he and the Blob are too evenly matched, so Hank has the Vision dis uh, disengage while he hits the Blob with some patented Pym particles from Ronco. They patented Pym particles three times real fast. That's hard. <clears throat> The blob shrinks down, but maintains his mass and weight, causing his tiny body to sink down, 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 possibly to the center of the Earth. Avalanche turns his attention to the Falcon, who is still carrying the Scarlet Witch. Would you put her down? <clears throat> the Vision comes in to protect his wife, and Avalanche unleashes his power against him. The Vision's body looks like it got pulled apart by a ten-year-old kid. He falls to the ground, initiating his own repair protocols. Wanda rushes to his side. Angered at the Vision's state, Wanda turns to face Avalanche and throws the full fury of her hex power at him. Back in the supervillain's lair, they all gather to watch the battle uh, between the Avengers and the members of Freedom Force. Both Doctor Doom and the Red Skull feel it's time to intervene as Freedom Force is failing due to their lack of teamwork. The Lackey, Lokai, agrees, to agrees but decides to hold back in case the Freedom Force gets lucky and kills someone. Pyro tries to order the police to arrest the Avengers, but before the police can truly choose his side, Captain America shows up hanging from a line outside of a Quinjet, notifying the police that the Blob, Avalanche, and Pyro are no longer working for the government and are free agents. While the battle appears to be over, the crowd that is gathered starts to turn on the Avengers like G. Gordon Godfrey was whispering in their ears. But that's another company story. <laughs> Avalanche takes advantage of the moment and plows a hole in the crowd so that he Pyro, and Pyro can escape to their waiting helicopter. Wanda was just about to hex the copter down when the Vision shows up, apparently repaired. His entrance was all the distraction needed for the three villains to get away. The Avengers stand amidst the wreckage, recognizing yet another loss without even understanding exactly why the attacks are happening in the first place. Loki, hidden far away from all, gloats as he watches, stating that they shall not understand unless, he says, you grasp the full portent at the moment of your death. The end. Nicely done. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. This was a great story. I, I really enjoyed enjoyed this. You know, I mean, again, you know, um, Paul Ryan's art has always been, and, and Paul Ryan and Tom Palmer, their art to me is is serviceable in that whenever I would open a book and see it was them, I wouldn't be disappointed. Yeah, you know, that, like it, it's not like you know seeing a John Byrne cover and then opening up and it's Al Milgram uh, <laughs> art or uh, you know Alex Savick 
with uh, Vinnie Coletta inks. You know, it, it it was something that you go, okay, I, I can deal with this. And yeah, they they have yeah. very very clean good art. It's I would I would say that they're probably on out of a t- out of ten they would be like a six or a seven. They're right in the middle little bit above you know it's you're not getting something super spectacular but you're also not getting something really weird and experimental either no it's it they kind of play it safe it's it's yeah exactly serviceable it's it's nothing there's no uh there's not a, a art- artistic style that really sticks out like you know like the first time you saw mcfarlane you're like what the hell is this uh, it looks like standard comic book and that's what i've always always liked about because to me the this looks like basima but that style, the same to me has always been kind of the epitome of standard comic book kind of art. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not Kirby, uh, grandiose, bombastic wonderfulness, um, and it's not uh, somebody who is, you know, Burn. I, I was talking to Gene earlier. You know, this if Burn had done this, I think it would have been a little more open and we would have got a little more, <clears throat> a little more flash. But for for storytelling, it it does the job and it and it, it does it. It does a good job. I, I did have so, a question, though. Is that... Yeah. Okay, so Freedom Force is acting on their own. Loki didn't manipulate them into going there and doing that. Why did they go there then and do that? What, what, what convinced them, hey, let's attack the Avengers? Well, I have a feeling that they were hearing, just like at the very beginning, you see on a splash page, the Wasp wondering what's going on. Yeah. Why, you know... Freedom Force probably got the idea, hey, all these other villains are attacking people they don't normally fight. We should do that, too. And I, the Avengers' main base is destroyed. We're just going to get the, the the B team. So there's not, Thor's busy fighting Juggernaut. Iron Man's off fighting the Wrecker. We're not going to have to deal with the heavy hitters. Why don't we go and deal with, you know, Smash Avengers Park? Because that's how they think. And yet, two of the most powerful Avengers are there in the right. vision of Scarlet Witch. But they're supposed to be on the West Coast, Robert. This is true. This is true. Pink Pym and the Wasp also. I mean, really, yeah. the Falcon's the only East Coaster that's that's uh, there. Yeah. What's going on in the East Coast? Last month it was Quasar, and they sunk the island. And here now it's just a Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's everyone's busy. <laughs> That's the problem. And it's interesting because I had never read the... I've read the Avengers. I've read Avengers West Coast. I've never alternated back and forth until we were getting ready to do this issue. And I decided, well, let me read these in order. Now it makes a heck of a lot more sense. with Because this, this group is here for this issue gone next. A few issues before this, uh, toward I think it was the beginning of Burns' stint as writer, is Captain America basically saying, "There's no more East Coast West Coast team. We're all just one group of Avengers." Yeah, which my dog apparently doesn't like. <laughs> uh, and so it's it seems like it's it make it's making it easier for them to shuttle back and forth. Then the West Coast issue right before this is. Oh, Hydra base has been destroyed. They need us on in the east. Let's get on a Quinjet and go. And they should go. Where, again, kind of go where they needed. Uh, yeah, I guess it doesn't include the Great Lakes Avengers. Yeah, where are the Great Lakes Avengers and all that? 
Hawkeye wouldn't let him come. <laughs> sport, sport. Yeah. But this is one of those issues, because this, this came out right as I was becoming a comic book collector as opposed to a comic book reader. So this was my first actual event <laughs> that I was involved oh. with as it was coming out. I'd had issues of Secret Wars 2 and other, you know, other things, but this was the first, oh, wow, I'm in on the ground floor of this one. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I have the actual issue, but also, it this is, this was my in, introduction to these characters. So, when you say the vision to me, he's white. He isn't multicolored. Right. He's right. robotic. You know, it's Hank Pym. He's not Giant Man. He's not Ant-Man. He's not Yeljagger. He's the scientist who's able to grow and shrink things out of his pockets. Which so, I always thought that was a little, when that was introduced on West Coast, I thought it's a natural progression for the guy. For him to be as, like the scientific advisor instead of being the, on the front line as a hero, that makes a lot of sense. The idea with the pockets was a little, I thought, gimmicky, but uh, I thought it was interesting that he had, you know, explained that he had absorbed so much of the the pin particles that now he could just generate them out of his hands, which to me makes like let him go in first and shrink everybody. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, just, it didn't really work with the blob, though. Well, well it did work rid of him, just it? a little too rid of good. Him. Too well, yeah. Yeah. Huh, you know the the digital copy I'm looking at when I was looking at that second page, the Scarlet Witch down at the bottom is so red all over that the color's bleeding all over the place. The, the, the reprint within the omnibus looks so much better because it, it, you know it's like I, I'd always thought before I read some of these that her costume was just like the red you know uh, one piece swimsuit kind of thing and then the long glove the dinner gloves is like as I refer to them. Yeah. but she actually wears like a pink I don't know is it a like bodysuit body suit. Yeah. it's like a secondary color underneath her yeah so she's not completely red yeah, but the, 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 the coloring in the, the, the digital copy is really, really... Uh, it, it just leads everywhere. Yeah, the, the on that second page, the bottom center panel, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. got, like, a, a maroon under yeah. you know, a bodysuit rather than a pink bodysuit. Yeah, well, there's a lot of red on that page between him and Scarlet Witch and the Falcon um, and yeah. even Janet's And the Wasp. Some, <laughs> yeah. She's got some red... Yeah. Speaking of which, the Wasp's position on the very first page, oh my. Oh, you mean the first of six Wasp butt shots in the issue? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, I did count them. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, uh, and that is by far more than any male or female character gets. So apparently Mr. Ryan likes the rear end of the Wasp. Yeah. And it, like- that also carries over because I was on Back to the Bins where we were covering the uh, Terminus annuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And the the West Coast Avengers annual for that, the same thing. There's a backup story where Pym lost something. You know, he shrunk something down and he lost it, so they're all looking. And it's like, ah, wasp butt, wasp butt, wasp butt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we get the idea. You hate, you hate to see her leave, but you love watching her go. Got it. They they do a very heavy vision crotch shot though, mm. on page nine, uh, when they're trying to do a rear shot of both the Falcon and Hank Pym, but their costumes just don't you know help. That's also where you get another wasp butt shot. Yeah. 
Well, it doesn't help uh, help or hurt, depending how you look at it. It looks like she's wearing more. Her costume is kind of creeping up. So it, yeah, she, shots. it's got the thong look to it. Yeah, yeah, it looks a little. And I don't like her. And I an like arrow it pointing she, to it. <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, this cowl she's got on. I like it better when she's got her her face is open or she's wearing. Um, I don't like the little earpieces in the. I mean, I will say this about the wasp. They were. Throughout the years, they would continually have her change her costume. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, I want to. You know, she didn't stick with this, this. Is it? She was constantly upgrading her costume. You know, look at Scarlet Witch. She's basically wearing the same thing forever. Yeah. But the Wasp is always because uh, she was a little more uh, high class. This she was, she was a fashionista. <laughs> exactly. So she was always redoing her her costume. And so, you know, most of the men are like, no, nope, this is good. I'm comfortable with this. I'm gonna stick with this. You know, look at the Blob. The Blob yeah. is like. Black jumper. It's all I'm gonna stick with, you know. Of course, it's oh, kind of hard for to find clothes. They got a blob <laughs> butt shot. That's not good. <laughs> well, they are. Yeah, they do kind of spread <laughs> spread those views around. It's just they're, you know, constantly on the wasp. <laughs> it, the, the the blob does have. They Ryan draws him with some pretty beefy legs. Yeah. He, uh, um, and I, I, I really had more. Let's talk about the story because I, I think I had more problems with the, the writing than the artwork. Okay. Because uh, one, I think the, the the idea of acts of vengeance is interesting. You know, although I will say I think Marvel would would occasionally do that anyway. They were always having uh, a villain guest star in someone else's story mm. to kind of throw things off. I mean, heck, look at the Kingpin. The Kingpin went from Spider-Man's villain to Daredevil's villain. Uh, but the idea of switch, uh, switching uh, heroes is kind of cool. I think that the 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 list they've got doesn't make sense because I would not count Kingpin in here. To me, Kingpin is not on the same level with Doctor Doom or the Red Skull or even Magneto or the Mandarin. And I also would I don't think I would include the Wizard because the Wizard those two guys to me are Small like B tier, C tier. You know, the Kingpin right. just always just worried about New York. He's never done world type conquest like doom has who did they put the kingpin on do you do you know i i don't i haven't read the rest of these issues so i don't know who yeah. he went after but um you know the mandarin i could see the red skull i could see doom is certainly that level but i don't think doom would be involved with these no let's look at doom's ego well, doom doesn't need help he doesn't well, want to but but doom's uh, 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 his idea on this is that this was his idea, and they're all working for him, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what Loki did to everybody. Each, yeah. each one of these villains thinks, "Oh, it's your plan. Yeah. We just conned these other ones into helping." You. Right. I, right. Yeah, I get that, but I would think yeah. that wouldn't work with Doom. I think even uh, even coming from Burn, I think because when Burn was writing Doom, because I thought he did a great job of of his of writing Doom in the FF, Doom would see through that. And maybe he has. I, I mean, I don't remember. I don't think he has. Well, maybe he has. He's playing along. But keep in mind that further on in the story, at least at some point in here, this becomes a doom bot. Right. I so it could. It, it's possible that it was a doom bot all along. That doom got the invitation from Loki and said, "Oh, well, okay, I'll send, fine. I'll send, a, I'll send a robot." Yeah, I've got stuff to do. But this may be advantageous. You go. <laughs> right. I, I'll buy that. I can understand, see, that he would send one of his his own lackeys as a Doombot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I know that later Magneto was retconned as to why he was who had a problem with it was it uh defalco or grunwald somebody had a problem with him being here and he changed it and kind of retconned his appearance here that he was here really for he wanted to capture the red skull and you can see that on page three yeah just the look that magneto's given him it's like oh i'm in the same room as this yeah. well and, and and i'm still kind of messed up on the timeline there because where, where was it where Dr. Doom finally got Magneto to acknowledge that he's truly a villain and he was just doing all that, you know, where he had him basically kill that girl? Do you uh, remember that? There, it, I, it was in the I annual. don't know. I think it may have been, like, Atlantis Attacks. Uh, and and I, was, yeah, I think it was X-Factor. And I'm trying to pull it up now because I'm just like... Where was that, and what time was that? Because uh, you know, it, it seemed like this this was before that when everyone thought Magneto was a good guy. Well, he kept flipping back and forth because in X Men Two Hundred, you know, he goes on trial, mm-hmm. uh, and it's basically no, no. no the X Men are like, no, no, he's he's rehabilitated. He's 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 one of us now. And then of course he, he, you know, he he Magneto like Doom was always he's not a real you know Doom's not really a villain in his mind because he's doing what he thinks is right. So that's what I think what makes him a great character. I think Maggie is the same way. Like, I'm not really right. a villain, I'm, which is the problem that they have between... Uh, I thought for... I think it's it's just from... In 2020, everybody is so sensitive to what everybody else says. Look at the dialogue with uh, the Red Skull and Magneto. You know... Uh, you no, know, he's he calls him a Nazi, and he when he calls, he says, um, "What is it?" The, Dooms, the Red Skull says to Magneto, he says, uh, "In your day, you would have been melted down for soap or something like that." He said something. Um, what is it? Um, yeah, he says there was a time when your kind would have been boiled into soap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later he says. Uh, there's just, I mean, it's 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 a character for the Red Skull. I mean, you're you're really writing him as a Nazi. Yeah, but he, uh, he was a card-carrying, flag-waving yeah. Nazi, literal yeah. Nazi. Yeah, and that's what Magneto's got a problem. That's one thing that Magneto probably would never set foot in the same room unless he is there pretending because he's trying to get um, uh, he's trying to get the, the Red Skull trapped. You know, because um, at the end, what's what is. Uh, Skull doesn't say it, but um, it's Loki when he calls. Uh, he's talking about the Falcon. He says, "You, uh, nor are you likely to, my ebon-hued fool." Mm. And that's just like it doesn't bother me because I understand. But in the 2020, it just feels like, yeah, oh, somebody's gonna flag that for <laughs> for for being wrong. So it's yeah. it's a little, yeah, yeah. Well, I even the Red Skull on page 24. He's uh, hey. Part of, one of his examples of why Freedom Force is failing is, and this is a quote, even a member of a mongrel race such as the Falcon seems yeah. able oh, to yeah. hold his own against him. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> now, I yeah. did find that the uh, Atlantis Attacks X-Factor annual, that was that year, it was uh, annual four, came out in June of 89, and that was one that had the story in the back that I'd be bound in a nutshell. Uh, Ralph Macchio and John Byrne. Um, so it looks like, yeah, Ralph Macchio and Byrne uh, did the story and Byrne did the art, of course. 
uh, and that was uh, Doom forcing Magneto to reveal that he is truly a villain mm-hmm. and has him kill that girl. And that was when, you know, Ma- Magneto's masquerade was done. Well, for then, until somebody else comes along and retcons it later, but... Yeah. Well, I never liked the idea of Magneto turning the leaf and becoming a... This is... It, it, I mean, they did too many things. They made him, you know, a, a victim of Auschwitz, you yeah. know, the, the, the Holocaust. And that right there, of course, they were able to put in a, the thing where he got, re, you know, re burst and re-aged so he was young again but uh, of course you know they used it in the X-Men movies forcing him to have to make him really really old to be in the modern day or in the near future as they you know put it and in the story you know it, it, what they're saying is that you know that would turn a whole bunch of uh, normal people to mass murderers but then again you just gotta say well if you get superpowers the power's gonna corrupt you the right, idea should have just been the, that the power corrupts you, regardless of your past, and uh, that Magneto's power is so great that he is greatly corrupted. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would say that Magneto is basically doing the one thing that he is fighting against. That Hitler was saying, you know, we're, you know, we're a superior race. We got to get rid of these these other people because they are not to our level. And then Magneto is saying the same thing that Homo superior should be the leaders of the world, not homo sapiens, and he's not necessarily uh, advocating mass extinction, but mm. he's saying we should, you know, we have power, we should be in control, and that's always been his driving force, and the fact that he feels that they are being hunted and persecuted the same way that the, the Jewish people were in World War II. So there's that, you know, that, that that's a connection that doesn't really justify what he's doing, but it it makes him more multi-layered so that he's not just a black hat, you know, mustache-twirling villain. He's got a little more layers to him. Yeah, and, and um, I'll be honest, when I read those X-Men stories back in the day where Charles was basically getting Magneto to, to turn over to the side of light and get him to be actually a teacher at Xavier's, you know, I was liking it back then. Looking back mm-hmm. on it, though, I'm just kind of like, no, that's <laughs> just that's so wrong. Especially after well, he killed those guys in the yeah. submarine, they killed eighty, 80 yeah. men. In the, in I the think Russian that's submarine. what I think that's what he, when he went on trial, that's what he was on trial for. Yes. Um, and then I guess they would argue that you know if I put on my Law and Order hat, I'll argue that well he's not the same person. You know he's changed, mm-hmm. so you can't you can't judge who he is now because he's not the person that did those awful things. And and see that's the thing I, I have problem with his re aging at the hands of the stranger happened years before Chris Claremont had taken over the X-Men. And it was Claremont writing the X-Men that had him sink that Russian sub and then years later turn, you know, and, and issues later turn around. I don't know if we could say it was years later because mm-hmm. kind of the time moves so slowly. Right. But, you know, it, it was within a few years that, you know, while he was in this newly reborn uh, body that he was, you know, killed those soldiers and then yet turned around and joined Xavier at the school so So, that argument doesn't work for me (laughs) the judges judges fail but then again if I remember Magneto had uh, done something to his helmet and then zapped one of the uh, judges to uh, uh, in in his favor that was in the X-Men versus the Avengers miniseries that came out that was Claremont and Mark Silvestri well, the real crime there was that big one-piece outfit that Magneto wore with a big M on it. <laughs> oh, the purple thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I always liked That's... his older ones that had the obvious metal bolts and, and everything on it. Right. <laughs> but well, have... I mean, look at look at look at. Uh, let's bring this back to Star Trek. Look at Giorgio on Discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a mirror. The Emperor is from the mirror universe, who is a mass killer. You know, and cannibal. She, and cannibal, or well, <laughs> well she was she eating Saru's people. Too. Yeah. That's not a cannibal, but she, she was eating Saru. sentient people. She was eating sentient people. <laughs> Whatever that is, it's just <laughs> awful. And they bring her into uh, Discovery, and like, they don't mention it at all. It's like, yeah, you're fine. You know, you kind of, we're going to use you to do kind of dirty work stuff we don't want to do. You know, so you're the one that's going to rush in and beat somebody up or shoot someone. When it was the Starfleet are saying, we don't do that kind of stuff. But she's, but we're going to let her do it, you know, wink, wink. Um, so that I, that's one of my big problems with Discovery. But I, this is not Discovery podcast, so yep. <laughs> that's good because I wouldn't be on. I'm watching. <laughs> um, oh, I, do you watch it? I want to. If I'm not no, I'm uh, I, Eugene, I was actually I was actually specifically told Paul Spataro sent me a message saying, "Hey, I've watched Discovery. You shouldn't." Oh, because he knows I am. I'm a continuity nut. Oh, I'm the guy yeah, that in Enterprise. It. Yeah, remember, in Balance of Terror, in the original series, first season, they said that the Earth-Romulan War happened before visual ship-to-ship communication. Right. What happens in the first episode of Enterprise? Visual ship-to-ship communication. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, don't watch it then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't care if you spoil it, because I'm never going to watch it. Uh, But that that was my big problem with... uh, the group here. I thought that um, they should, and I don't know who else you would replace. If say you get out of the kingpin, yeah. who would you put in there? Would you put in? Uh, I can't think off the top of my head, but I think they need get rid of kingpin and the wizard and get two more big heavy hitters, two more big masterminds. Who would you bring uh, in? That's the problem. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, and I understand if you're gonna, if Spider Man's gonna be involved in this, you're gonna bring in. Uh, well, a heck. Put in, bring in Doc Ock. I would get rid of Kingpin and bring in Doc Ock. He has bigger plans than Kingpin. Yeah, I mean he's he's responsible for the centers of six. He was actually yeah. he actually went by the name the Master Planner at one point. Yeah, so yep. The, that would the, make sense. Yeah, because the Kingpin's basically just a crook. He's never really tried to take over the world. Or take, he just wants. Why you know, not he just, Kang? Just a crook. Why not Kang? Okay, the, you'd yeah. have to find him. Truth. <laughs> <laughs> Kang's not a bad idea. Kang's yeah. not. Uh, uh, or if I you're mean, even for, go ahead. Or uh, uh, I don't think you would play with the others. But what about Apocalypse? Uh, wrong. Uh, oh, that Apocalypse. I'm sorry. I was yeah. thinking of Dark Side. <laughs> no. Yeah. Hey, bring I, in Dark Side. Bring never, in Dark Side. I've never found any any appeal to the villain Apocalypse, uh, either in the comics or the movies. But again, that was at, at the point where my interest in the X Men was starting to wane. And, well, uh, I don't, I don't think you're wrong there. He's never done anything for me. He, I've never been excited that he's got it in a book. I always thought his powers were. No, see, I'm thinking along the lines of someone like more like Mephisto. But hmm. Mephisto would not be that. Mephisto would actually be the one pulling the strings more like Loki than, than anyone, obviously. Uh, you know. Yeah, Me- Mephisto would go up to Loki and say, "You stole my idea." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Mephisto yeah. would. Work, but, uh, Think, but, think, but also, you have to think about it this way. This is Loki putting these people together. Yeah. He is not going to get 
someone like Kang or Mephisto or Immortus. He's not going to get someone that could possibly see through his plan. Right. He, these are all people that can be manipulated. Which, which again, it only works if if that's a doom bot from the very beginning, which just right. seems like it is. Because uh, I don't think, uh, of course, it depends on who's writing doom. But I think Burn himself would write doom as being uh, too yeah. too well, sharp for this. Simonson was on Fantastic Four at this point, mm-hmm. and in a little while, I was what was it issue three fifty where Doctor Doom comes back from space in the silver armor and basically says, you know, there's a doom bot and Kristoff fighting because they both think they're Dr. Doom. <laughs> well, that's so it. put, put Kristoff here instead of doom. Yeah. But what I, what I, what I'm saying is I don't think the real doom was even on earth. On earth. Point. Yeah. I think okay. he was off somewhere. Yeah. And now I got to look it up and see where, what fantastic four issues were going on here. Uh, we were in the 330s, 331 to 334 around here. I'm trying to see which ones were mm-hmm. labeled as Acts of Vengeance. The last one, 334 of 89. All right. Yeah, so we were still a year and a half away from Doctor Doom coming back to Earth. And in that, he does say that he's been gone for a while. So you know, I don't even yeah. I don't even think that the real doom was even a possibility if you go by that storyline. No, you're right. You know, having Walt Simonson inked by Rich Buckler seems like a no-brainer, and, and that it would be really cool. Oh no, no, it was just Rich Buckler doing the uh, pencils, and Romeo Tangled in it. So I was sitting there going, looking at that, going, that doesn't really look like good Walt Simonson. Yes. But Rich Buckler being inked by Romeo Tangal doesn't look like Rich Buckler to me. Oh well. Brian, your synopsis, I think, unless I forgot, uh, you didn't really bring up the this plot that's been kind of running through him with, with Nebula. Oh, with Nebula. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I skipped that and I skipped the story. Okay, it doesn't really pertain to the story. Right, yeah, right. So it just pushes the story a little further uh, yeah. with the... Uh, and you know the Scarlet Witch when she was there she was looking at the vision and of course it's the white version vision you know the one that was disassembled, mm-hmm. disassembled and reassembled in West Coast Avengers but what she's seeing is the green vision in her head right she's she's not quite tied to reality here yeah well as Pim mentions in this yeah she uh, the the West Coast issue right before this she was catatonic yeah. And he said that something about the vision being in trouble, and that woke her up. Right. And then on the way back to the West Coast after this issue, she goes catatonic again until Magneto yanks the house up into the orbit, and then you have Darker Than Scarlet showing, you know, starting up. Magneto sure does like to take things up into orbit, doesn't he? Hey, no one's going to bother him. But yeah, also had, and then oh. the, the Nebula storyline um, was really what, the, what? Who's that old guy? He's, he, uh, he's he invented some type of power process that she wants because she she wants to manipulate that in order to take over the, the universe, and it ends up basically blinking the universe out of existence. Yeah, that, that's kind of the end of Burns' story, isn't it? Because I know he yeah. gives. He kind of ties that up uh, before uh, uh, who heck who takes over. 
because um, he gives, I know in one of them he gives like 311 or 3, 317, he gives his breakdowns to whoever is taking over. Um, picks up the man loves writer. I read it, I can't remember. Uh, I, I read it too, I read it just uh, this morning. That, that story's been kind of going on uh, in the background with um, Fabian Nicieza. Right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I guess based Burns on Burns' plot, his script. Yeah. Burns' plot, yeah, and then, his script. And, yeah. Then he takes over. Nicieza takes over after that. Right. And then you get the Avengers split in, whereas now we have two issues a month with one story you have, it moves into two issues a month with two stories per issue. You have a, a main story and then a backup. Yeah. And that, because I, I remember all of that, because that was, like I said, that's when I I was heavy into collecting the whole crossing the line thing, because, hey, guess who's a big part of that? Quasar. <laughs> <laughs> that's about so, when I was leaving. I think I dropped off in the 320s mm-hmm. um, and just moved on to something else, but... Um, but, um, what I think is interesting is that after Paul Ryan leaves, uh, Richard Levins and Christopher Ivy come in to do the the, the, ink, the the art, and it really isn't that much different. I mean, it looks like they're trying to maintain the same aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And they do a really good job, in my opinion. There's, there's some really good art there. Well, that's when they would do it. They would have a, Sometimes they would have artists kind of mimic the previous as a smoother transition as opposed to now it's just oh, it's well, a it, it, it's, it's funny it seems to skip a customer like Ryan skipped an issue or two in there and and every time that he would skip they'd bring in Levins and Ivy and it, it kept the continuity I think that was actually uh, a good a good choice there who's the editor Tom uh, no Howard Mackey that's right okay yeah Mackey uh, Mackey is a pretty decent editor in my opinion yeah, and then it, even after that, it, you have Steve Epting on pencils, but Tom Palmer's still doing inks. So it, you still have this consistency right, going yeah. through it. And Palmer was on it for quite a while. Yeah. And it's interesting that Brian, I think, I read he he passed uh, about four years ago. Who? Tom Palmer? No, Paul Ryan. Oh, Paul Ryan, yeah. I was, yeah. was going to say, I met Tom Palmer. He was fine. <laughs> I don't I think, I assume he's still fine, but no, I don't think he's gone. But, um, and it was that, that just reading up on Ryan, it was interesting that he got, he kind of got into comics late. He was in his mid-30s before he became a comic book artist. He was, a, I think, a graphic designer or like a, doing engineering stuff before that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot of artists, actually. I mean, you, you, you know, no, it, it, there are very few of them that actually sit there when they're a kid and say, I'm, I'm going to be a comic book artist. Or do they all say they're going to be a comic book artist and then wind up as a draftsman? Mm. Well, I think I nowadays know, they might decide it? to do that. But I think others, I mean, you get out of, you know, they don't teach, you know, I'll, you know, I, I my degree is in graphic design, but I, they don't teach you, you, I think, you don't do this kind of artwork when you're doing graphic design. You do mostly logos and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you, if you're just an artist, then I think you're probably doing this on the side. I mean, I think Mark Bagley was a, he was a, aircraft designer not designer but he was like an aircraft uh, artist or something before he got into comics draft so it, yeah it, so. He, he's the reason why we have the $5,000 hammer 
No, no, seriously, yeah. they, when, when, when they have to do, uh, when they start on any project, like let, let's say they're going to design a, a later version of the F-16, and they have to do draftsman workups of every single tool that mm-hmm. is used in there. Now, even if you're using the same kind of hammer you used on a previous plane, they still have to do draftsman workups on each one of those tools. It's required by law that they do this. And so all this added expense is because of all this extra work that has to be done and can't just be pulled from the previous job. See, I've just educated you. Well, they should. The reason reason why I know that is my dad did the same thing at Uh at one point. (laughs) We do do detailed stuff for booths. A lot of times if the booth hasn't changed, the the detailer is like, oh, let's get to change the header. So all they have to do is change the information in the box. They don't have to actually withdraw anything. Yeah, well, in, do that. Yeah. In, yeah, in my line, even working on government projects, because the, the company I'm with now, we do a lot of work with the Navy. But the engineers on that, they have their standard details because they know that the Department of the Navy has approved this detail already. So we're just going, OK, same. We're, we're doing a boiler, you know, a condensing boiler. There's the there's the detail. They know it. They like then it. That, then that's a change that's been made sometime within yeah. the last twenty five years or so. Yeah. Well, remember, I'm on the I'm on the contracting side. I'm not on the design side. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that they have to re up, you know, like send a batch of details in every time. But yeah, they don't. They do not redraw it every single time. In fact, we, we've had. We've had whole buildings where they say, well, base it on this. <laughs> base it on this other one that's exactly Oh, yeah, we've done that before, yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably the difference of uh, computers as opposed to actually hand-drawing something, I think. I got, yes. I got a question that goes back to the story. Um, oh, yeah, we're talking about comic book. Yeah, on the, on, the, on, the, on the very last page, you know, the Scarlet Witch goes up to uh, hold to hug the Vision. And there's mm-hmm. two different side shots of her hugging the vision. And they both make me think of that uh, removed panel from the She-Hulk graphic novel with the, the side boot. Oh, yeah. It makes me wonder how... how yeah, I mean, because... Okay, I, I guess this isn't being squeezed so much this, as She-Hulk's was. No, but, but this, is, this is painful. This is being pushed aside. Because she has... One breast on one side of the vision, the other breast on the other side of the vision. <laughs> yeah. And lifts, lifts and separates. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> well, well, again, it, yeah, it, it, it makes you wonder why the Comic Code Authority didn't step in here. Or was it just she's not, was it She's shooter? not naked. Yeah, but was she's it? Not, this cloak. is true. This is true. Yeah. I mean, she could have a skin-tight bodysuit on, and it still would be considered clothes. She's not naked. So if maybe if the She-Hook was in some kind of a nighty, maybe they would let it go through. But. And you know that 90% of our listeners have stopped what they're doing and picked up a book <laughs> just so they can go look at this. <laughs> well, they already had it in their hand because of all the wasp butt shots. So they figure, oh, well, <laughs> I'll just pick it up again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, from around the same time period, it's on Hulu. We were looking for something light to watch. My wife and I recently restarted watching Thundercats. Right. Well, you know, in the first episode of Thundercats, the only one that's actually got clothing on is Jaga, the old guy. But they go through a very painful process of making sure that all of these supposedly naked characters, there's a very definitive line between their hip and their thigh. So 
they can actually get away with oh no see they, they got shorts on see that line there you wouldn't have that if you were naked so they're supposed to be I've, I mean I've watched Thundercats I didn't realize they were supposed to be naked. yeah because in the first in the very beginning Jaga said oh well we're, we're not going to be on our native planet you're going to for the first time ever need protective clothing <laughs> well that's protective clothing yeah. Maybe before that, they just wore non-protective clothing. Right, because Chitara just wears a leotard, therefore it's protective clothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody it, complains it, about Chewbacca. No. <laughs> well, I mean, Mala at least wore an apron. On yeah, well, as you see, well, as you see in the holiday <laughs> special, the Wookiees can wear clothing, it's just Chewbacca's a nudist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where's that bandolero? Uh... I would think, I would think with all that fur and you wear clothing, it just could be hotter than hell. But. Yeah, yeah. That brings us back to the monster maroon discussion with Star Trek uniforms. Yep. Those <laughs> things are friggin' hot. Let me yes. tell you. Well, because you can't make them out of space age material. Yeah. You know, the real, a real, or some kind of really ultra light, breathable stuff. You know, that even, even away. those, even because the the one I have is actual based on what it's supposed to be wool gabardine. No wonder it's hot. <laughs> this is why I wear, in most of the shows, a the engineer's vest that Scotty wore. But my wife has one, which was one of the commercially available ones. It's like a, a, a light nylon. Even that gets hot, because guess what you're wearing under it? A turtleneck. Yeah. Well, they just wear a dickie, don't they? No, they have it's full a, sleeves a, and everything. It's a, yeah, it's a... Yeah, because yeah. the sleeves have got that same kind of Cause, ribbed. Because all, all the guys I know that, you know, like, they bought the, the costumes from Elmer Sweat, and Elmer would tailor them for them. And they would just wear a dickie underneath. Mm. And, I mean, again, again, they still complained that it was hot, but, I mean, that's, yeah, that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Is that ironic that it's coming from a guy named Dickie Sweat? Uh, Elmer Sweat. <laughs> Elmer Sweat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we live here Dickie's, in Texas. Dickie Sweat's a better name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but we're all here in Texas too, so uh, yeah, that of course adds to it. 115 you know, fifteen in the summers. And, mm-hmm. <gasps> I, I, uh, I, I, I was under studio lighting. <laughs> uh, I got a question about, um, and this is funny coming from Burn. This is nitpicky. The way the Blob talks about the way his powers work, I, don't, I never understood the the Blob could change his density the way the Vision does. I thought his was one. He was just, you know, his skin was naturally. He, he was very... able to control his mass. Right. And again, I guess that would fall in the same thing as as you know density. But you know that that was how he was able to plant himself, so he couldn't be you know moved. But and he's not making it. But he wasn't making himself so heavy because otherwise he would sink the way he does in this. If he was, if he's making well, himself so dense that. Okay, think of it like a needle. All right, a needle is incredibly tiny, and it takes uh, about a thousand pounds per square inch to pierce the human skin. All right, so if you take something the size of, say, a AA battery and press it against you with a thousand pounds per square inch, it's not going to pierce the skin. It's going to make a big dent on you, a little mm-hmm. divot or whatever. But if you do a needle really small, it's going to sink right through and get into your bloodstream. When the blob is, what, six feet five and, you know, however many hundreds of pounds, he's spread out over several feet because his feet are really huge, like an elephant. You shrink him down to super tiny, that is going to be able to sink down into soft ground. 
Right. I, yeah, I understand mm-hmm. when he gets shrunk that yeah, he's get his he's he's gonna he's gonna you know go through the go through the ground because he's so small. I'm saying if he's just walk around normally, yeah, and he's his density is whatever his weight is 500 pounds or whatever but when he wants to you know his powers he can plant himself so you can't move him so if you were to run into him you're you're not going to move him well if he's increasing his density so much that you know the hulk running at him is not going to move him then he would be heavy enough he would sink through the ground i always thought it was more of a well there's uh, a gravitational thing maybe or i mean it's i know it's vague as the way it works well there was one issue, I don't remember where it was, but someone did run into the blob and moved him, and pieces of the ground came up under his feet. That was yeah, Marvel like fanfare. That was Marvel okay. fanfare. It was the Hulk and the, Hulk uh, picks the him blob and right. Eunice, yeah. Okay. So that's not that's not nothing to do with him increasing his density. That wouldn't cause that. That's him somehow... Right. Well, that's what, on that's what I mean. So. I think it. I think it's a combination of the two. Right. I think it's a him increasing his density, but also having some other mutation that Still, allows allows yeah. him to, you know, stick to one place. Right. right. But I, I, I'm starting to agree with Tim though, because even you know he's five ten and five hundred and ten pounds according to Hotmo Deluxe. A Hot Mood Deluxe that, and five hundred ten pounds even in a small thing probably wouldn't be heavy enough to sink down into the ground the moment that you hit something solid like concrete you know you might cause a crack but you're not gonna go through it right so yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was it was a gag i guess yeah that it was did. a gag I mean, it was he, a good gag he wanted to tell it you know right but once you start thinking about it yeah well, and that's just the reason why I bring it up is because it's Burn, and Burn usually tries to be pretty, and he's an X-Men writer and artist, and he he tends to be a little smarter about his science and stuff. So it just seemed a little I could, I would expect that from somebody else, but um, that just seemed a little odd that that you know. But but if you're putting two guys that can kind of control their density up against each other, you know, then that's what you're going to get. I mean, it's not like. It's, it's not like the blobs going up against um, uh, who's the guy from the Hellfire Club that can control density. Um, oh, Leland. Leland. Leland yeah. yeah, I don't know if he has a code name or not. Um, like that, you know, like we did with, with Wolverine when he made him sink down to the floor. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that was my little nitpick for that. Other than that, I think the the, the fights the fights uh, the fights pretty good. I mean, they're they're. Uh, Again, I, I kind of agree with was it Gene or Brian that said why aren't why is why does uh, Hank Pym just shrink everything? W- yeah. Well, that <laughs> that should <laughs> that should be you know everything. Um, uh, why are they there? Why is Freedom Force? You know, is it just because I think Gene said the the he the, it's almost like they were like, hey, everybody's switching bad guys. Let's do it too. Yeah, it just seemed like it would have been an easy line of dialogue for Loki to, or you know, for them to, you know, Loki to have, you know, manipulated them into going there. I, it didn't right. make sense. Yeah, they're yeah, not I, the smartest guys. Yep. And all all Loki would have had to do, right, is just shape change into Mystique, say, "Hey, Pyro, go attack the Avengers in Avengers Park. They're vulnerable now," and then gone. Yeah, they wouldn't have questioned it. They would have gone yeah. right away. But but yeah, again, and I did make the comment that Mystique was in mourning, and that was because Destiny had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I guess the the were to assume that because the 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 this cabal of villains is watching, 
And I have to say, I don't know where all these cameras are. They have a nice viewing room. Yes, they do. Um, and they're all sitting here, and they've got all these... these. I don't know where these cameras are. They're, that's what catching all this action, but... Uh, they assume that... Uh, you know, and th- that's another thing. They That confused me. They all... That Loki's pretending to be a lackey to each of them. So when they're all right. together, they assume that he's... He's not... He's not only my lackey, he's your lackey. You know, he's... He's doing whatever each one of them does. He's like their servant. And I guess they assume that, well, he had set this up, that he had sent mm-hmm. uh, Freedom Force to take out the Avengers. Not knowing that Loki's like, oh, I'd have had nothing to do with it. It's just a coincidence. And to me, I look at, at, at all those scenes as, as the, we're, we're seeing them, but they're seeing something completely different based on what he wants them to see. And so that's why they all think that they're in control. But the other thing I see is in that panel where they're all watching the nice triple big screen TV is that Hank Pym looks like the $6 million man. <laughs> you just hear that slow motion. It does. Yeah. <laughs> well, on Pyro's, the coloring is off on this, some of Pyro, because yeah. his, his mask is not colored in. And then on the next page, page 25, when he's talking to the cops, it looks like, I think that's supposed to be a highlight or something, but it looked, it's, it's flesh toned pink under his arm so it looks yeah. almost like his costume is ripped and the next page well, same thing yeah and go yeah. back and, and look at the uh, look at the red skull he looks more like one of the aliens from Mars Attacks than he does the red skull I mean he just looks like bug eyed and very not red skull like well is this and I haven't read my Captain American forever is yeah. this when he was wearing a mask or was he actually his face was the red skull well this, this? is red yeah this is what brought back Red Skull and I don't mm-hmm. remember how they brought him back because he died uh, in Cap 300 I think isn't this Gerwald. the isn't this the one that was cloned from Steve Rogers I think he says his body is at one yeah. point he jumps says my body is not perfection yeah I think he he's this is the cloned body from Rogers ah. so this would be a mask right which is what he always had he always originally wore a mask and his face yeah. became that and then uh, I think the one you're referring to, Brian, is that when he is that when they both lost their super serum formula? They kind of both aged. Well, they, they were and, aging. Uh, skull yeah. dies. The skull dies in Cap's arms, right? Yeah. And then this is uh, the clone. He says somewhere here where he's he's flipping around, he's jumping around. He says, uh, uh, it, baby. He says, my body is not perfection. You know, you're not gonna. Uh, and he tries to pull his gun on. Is he pulling it on? I think Magneto. Yeah. Yeah, he's pulled, because that's the, the argument him and Magneto are having, and then Loki gets in the middle. Right, yeah. right. I think that may be another issue. It's not this issue. Um, the previous issue. Previous issue, yeah, when he was flipping around like like, like Cat. But um, reading this is almost... Uh, I, I need to go back and read all the active images to kind of get it. It's hard yeah. to, to, uh, to nitpick this and, and find flaws when I should read the whole story. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense, and if I read and, all of it, maybe it will. So, and maybe if we read the other ones, we might understand why Freedom Force is doing what they're doing. Right. So I got to find those uh, Avengers spotlights and and others, and maybe we can participate in something later. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> all right, next year's a new year. <laughs> well, do you guys have any last things to say about uh, Avengers 312? Excuse me, 312. Uh, just I like the uh, subscription ad in the back. <laughs> it, 
it's it's the uh, uncanny Xmas savings. Ah. So this this is probably a unique lineup of X Men. You have Dazzler, Havoc, the original version of Psylocke in the uh, the pink and purple outfit before she went Japanese ninja. Right. Okay. Uh, Storm, Wolverine, Rogue, and Colossus. <laughs> not, not bad. Not the normal lineup you think of when you think of X-Men. No, it's it's half A-team and half B-team. Mm. It, it, it it makes me think of those um, Avengers annuals that Alan Davis um, did the artwork on. And I think that's when that team is together. But they're, they're missing a long shot. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oh, boy, I just took a time machine back. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. I, I remember seeing all of these ads multiple times. But then again, you know, uh, another ad in here is the gigantic Boston Comic Convention, and it's got the list on the left. Here are the four characters that they have: Steve Rogers as the Captain, Thor in his blue and gold battle armor, Iron Man in his silver Centurion armor, and the Gray Hulk. Yep. Yeah. So none of them, except for the Hulk, was in that outfit <laughs> in this issue. Yeah. Or in this this time period. Well, Thor in this time period isn't he Eric Masterson? Yeah. Well, he he is combined with Eric Masterson in the whole Don Blake way, but he is not. Yeah. He is Eric Masterson has not taken over the identity yet. Got right. It. it was just was the Hulk Joe Fix at this point? He was, yes. was he? Was he? Yeah, he was. Six, he was. That's why he's great. Yeah. It because I oh, I read right, yeah. I read the Hulk versus the Grey Gargoyle last night. As that's part right. of the acts of vengeance, <laughs> yeah. and that like, was Grey Gargoyles turned the Hulk to stone. The yeah. Hulk doesn't know he's not supposed to move or or something yeah. like that under the cover. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you talk about covers, the the cover to the previous issue, this is three eleven, and it's when Hydra Base is destroyed, and it shows all the Avengers on there, and none of them are in the story. Yeah. No. No. The entire story is Quasar as the lone Avenger, and then yeah. the backup team. Yeah. That the groundskeeper. <laughs> And the mm-hmm. secretary, you know, Peggy Carter and... Right. Uh, yeah, and that, that threw me off because I don't remember Peggy Carter coming back. Or is this a, oh. a great-grandniece or... No, no this this is the Peggy Carter from World War II. And she was she was the Avengers communications officer. Mm-hmm. She, and that's one of the things that I... That sticks in my head so much about the Avengers is that they had this support staff. They had John Jameson as the pilot. They had Peggy Carter. They had they had all these people working in Avengers Mansion so that the Avengers could actually be Avengers and not yeah. you know, deal with paperwork. Yeah. Those robo- robots that they used against Hydrobase, they kind of look like um, Sentinels with funky heads. It looks yeah, almost like a, a Sentinel slash Doombot. Yeah, I think I there's, the... they're supposed to be like Doom's... Uh, Shock troopers, you know, not actual Doom bots, just the 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 army that he has. Yeah, I read that they're issue. Purple on the cover, but they're gray in the issue. Yeah, but yeah, but they fly like sentinels. You know, the way the sentinels fly in like the herd kind of formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just you know, basically being. They're flying in a fixed pose like an action figure, and doing a big loop, <laughs> going down underneath. Busting up through and then looping back for more. Yeah, basically punching holes all in the uh, flotation. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, well, I'm going to uh, change subjects here for a moment. Right. I think, I think we, we can go ahead and put the Avengers to bed, but uh, that was definitely done, yeah. an enjoyable uh, read. Thanks, Gene, for picking that because it was uh, a lot of fun. But I wanted to ask you, have you been reading X-Men Elsewhen? I have not. Uh, I have been hearing X-Men Elsewhen on your wonderful coverage. Thank you. But I, I have, uh, I've seen the occasional image because I am part of the the burn group on Facebook so I see that you know the stuff get posted and whatnot but I and I've even downloaded the actual combined issues they're on my tablet re- waiting to be read <laughs> but I have not gotten a chance to read them yet oh well I mean are you do you got time off coming up holiday stuff and well I do but part of that is driving to New Jersey <laughs> uh... <laughs> So, uh, it's just a, f- a family get-together, but still, it's a two-day drive, and we're doing going to see some of Kira's friends, and it's a two-day drive back, so... Uh, how old is Kira? She is 12. Okay, wow. not old enough to drive you. Dang. No, no. And well, if you, <laughs> you honestly think I would do a 17-hour <laughs> drive with her at behind the wheel? No. <laughs> well, if you're... This is what you do. If you're driving... Mm. You have them on your tablet. You have your wife read them to you. <laughs> why don't I just d- re-download the Third Degree Burn episodes, and I won't have yeah. to worry about it. You could just yeah. yeah well, it, she may not, she may not, may not want to listen to just us. Leave the tablet in the bathroom. Hours. Gene. <laughs> hey, I see. I am the one driving. I get to choose what we listen to. <laughs> that's, Unfor- that's unfortunately <laughs> it'll probably end uh, for you know. X-Men Elsewhen, it'll be back episodes of Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, because <laughs> I I made the mistake, and I've done this before, but I made the mistake this time that I started yeah, having Kira listen to them, because she's she has read Power Pack, some of it, not all of it, and then got to the right. point where, okay, I cannot listen to this, this show without Kira, because <laughs> she wants to know what's going on. Yeah. So that's I'm gonna I've have got. to pull down that one because I, I love the power pack, especially the early Brigman and then the Bogdan, Bogdanov. Is it Bogdanov or Bogdanov? Bogdanov. Bogdanov. I, I mean, well, just I love the way he represented the children in the stories. Mm-hmm. And Jim Brigman actually probably had Kids Anatomy down better than most every other artist out there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of power pack, uh, why haven't they made a movie? That just that just screams great uh, kid movie from Marvel. No, I see. Watch, no, that's watch, more of a Dis- Disney Plus watch, uh, season. Watch the TV pilot that they made, and you'll realize why you <laughs> shouldn't let Hollywood touch it. When did they do that? That was in the nineties. Well, oh, again, you know, the the nineties the they just did not. They they had such wrong people in charge of all this stuff. They had no idea what comic books were. Nineteen ninety one. <laughs> I think today they could they could make as much out of uh, fr- what are Friday's people called? Mm-hmm. What, what, what were Friday's people called? The the horse people. Oh, um, the, oh God. Um, I mean, I remember the Snarks. But horse I, face. I, uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they could turn them into as lovable characters as Baby Yoda. Oh God, they they got plushy written all over them. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I was saying mean, Disney, Disney every Plus. Every brony to, uh, would be out of the closet and right there in front of it. To I the issue uh, eight episode run. But it, talking about Power Pack. Uh, yes. 
have you read, and I'm not reading it, but I, I saw a podcast on it. Uh, the latest, I think it was issue 25 of the new FF that's been, that's uh, Dan Slott's writing, that they've established that uh, Franklin Storm, or Franklin Richards, is not a mutant. Huh? They've taken away, he, they, 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 he says, and I can't remember who tells him this, uh, I think it's Cyclops using, because I guess he was going to, and I'm so far behind him. So the X-Men are now on, they're not in Genosha, they're on some island. Where, wherever they're at. Krakoa. Krakoa. Yeah. Right. They're in Krakoa. And there's a, I guess there's an arch somewhere in New York that if you're a mutant, you can go through it and go right to the island. And Franklin's been going there, and then at one point, uh, Cyclops wearing Cerebro, no, it was Professor X wearing Cerebro. It looks like a younger Professor X. Tells him... You're not a mutant. You used your uh, your reality bending powers to make yourself appear as a mutant, and so you would scan as a mutant and read as a mutant. But you're not really a mutant. What? And at one point, he has burned out all his power, so now he can't go to the arch to go to Krakoa. So I guess people are upset that he is now no longer considered a mutant. He's just a super. He's just a. So- if, um, you're bo- if you're born with powers, you aren't necessarily mutant. That's my argument. It's like he was born from two people that he didn't gain them. He was born, so he would yeah. have to be a bone right. superior. So. But that's that's Dan Slott. So <laughs> there there are reasons I do not read modern comic books. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I the more the more I see about what's going on in modern comics, like I'm glad I jumped out. <laughs> you know the the thing is, I've been reading this more and more and more um, on Burns. Uh, website as he's talking about storytelling. You know, there's people asking questions about one thing or another. Why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? And he goes, you know, there's always two questions you have to ask. Uh, how do you do it? And then what's next? And everybody is always thinking about how do you do it? And they, they think, well, wouldn't this be great? But they never think about the what's next. And that's what yeah. screws up every one of these things that they do okay now they're they're saying franklin isn't a mutant and fooled every sentinel in the world back in days of future past but <laughs> well, then again the, the, the lovely thing is chris you know if, if you remember days of future past and this is spoilers for a 40 year old comic book when the first time you see franklin richards as an adult the sentinels vaporize him on the spot mm. before he can use his power because they hadn't ever determined what franklin's powers were and just a few short years later, when John Byrne uh, was doing the uh, Fantastic Four, he showed he had those reality-bending powers. He could make virtually anything happen. He could do whatever, whatever he, you know, whatever. And, and what's funny is they seem to, uh, later, they, they kind of, he did seem to have just, he was, oh, he was an Omega-level mutant. He could do kind of whatever to Byrne right. showed us. Uh, and then later it became, no, his power is creating alternate Universes, like pocket universes, that was his power. And then it's, and it was, you know, that that's a problem, Richards. I mean, with Franklin, it's always been his powers are here, then are gone. He's too powerful. What do we do with him? And they never knew what to do with him. So mm-hmm. I think uh, I don't know what. And now apparently he's burned all his powers out fighting some uh, some big bad guy in the FF. So now he's he'll get his powers back. When it needs Dan, to be bad, yeah. Right. Okay. He'll be a mutant again when the next writer decides he's going to be a mutant and it's going to be, you were a mutant who thought you were not a mutant, who pretended to be a mutant, but now you really are a mutant. So, did Banshee ever get his powers back? 
I don't know what's going on in the X-Men right now. They are so, so... House of M just kind of really... It set a lot of people off, that's for sure. Yeah. I had to have a second thing of caffeine just to keep up. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it's not like I'm doing big caffeine. These, these cans are these little seven and a half ounce cans. Mm-hmm. You know, you carry them in your hand when you want to look like a giant. <laughs> Remember Andre the Giant? when have, yep. he, he makes you look like what Andre the Giant looked like holding a regular can of beer. He must have loved postures. <laughs> My wife went through a, a, one of the local coffee shops here and got uh, what she get. It was it was a double nitro or something. Not thinking, hmm, will I have more caffeine than normal? She didn't think about that, and it had like three times the caffeine. So, so it worked. She's like, why am I so jittery? Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember way back. This is you know PK pre Kira. We were at a convent, a Star Trek convention, or some some type of convention, and they were giving out Jolt Cola. It was like a <laughs> promotional thing. So caffeine does not affect me at all. I could drink a two liter of Coke right before bed and go right to sleep. My wife, on the other hand, <laughs> don't do she this. Is, all right, Surgeon's General says that's no, a bad idea. That is a very bad idea. <laughs> yeah. You have to you have to get up in a few hours to go to the bathroom, but. <laughs> She got she she drank, I think maybe a third of the can, and at, said to me, "I can see my pulse." <laughs> <laughs> oh damn! Wow. Uh. So yeah, the caffeine can be bad for you. Yes, yeah, and, and I've been cutting down caffeine and sugar. You know, I'm, I'm diabetic, so mm. uh, it's a battle. Though uh, the Canadians have come up with a possible cure for diabetes uh, involving stem cells. Yeah, they've been testing it for a number of years, and they're doing human trials here within the next uh, next year or two. And um, it uh, basically, it, it, it involves taking stem cells and reconditioning them. So they'd be using your own cells, stem cells. Uh, cells. on you. And oh. it, it would basically allow your the insulin your body produces to more efficiently handle the sugar. Because, like, in my case, my body produces plenty of insulin. It just doesn't seem to be able to unlock the sugar like it used to. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with a lot of type 2 diabetics today. And I'll bet you they're going to be able to trace this back to uh, the uh, high fructose corn syrup. Which, if y'all, if y'all don't know, back in the uh, late 70s and 80s, when the sugar tariffs were getting really high, most companies switched from regular cane sugar to high fructose corn syrup. In fact, Coca-Cola was so deft about it, they made the whole world think that they were getting rid of their regular Coke. <laughs> and came out with this new Coke for a year, just so you wouldn't notice when regular Coke came back as Coke Classic. You wouldn't notice it actually tasted different because it was made with high fructose corn syrup. That's why when you get Mexican Coke that's still made with cane sugar, it tastes different. Well, that's a big thing. Now, you, you find, uh, it used to be the thing with Dr. Pepper. You could go to uh, Dublin, Dublin, yeah. Texas, and get the, the Dr. Pepper with cane sugar. And I think now you still sell Coke and Pepsi uh, that's advertised with cane sugar. You know? Yeah, I know, I know Pepsi. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah Mountain, Dew, right. Mountain Dew has a throwback with real sugar. Yeah. yeah, Mountain Dew's got a, a throwback that's got this hillbilly on the cover, on the, on the front of the package. I'm surprised I let that hillbilly be on the uh, 
but Dew is Mountain Dew is it's morphed so so much from what it was to what mm-hmm. now it's this extreme drink when before it was like a hillbilly uh, you know popping a top off his moonshine thing that was the that it was, that was it, the it was the actually logo. a flavor enhancer for moonshine. Is that what uh, Mountain that's Dew what was? It, that's what it originally started off as. Yeah. Oh, wow. And but yeah, it was it was a completely different flavor, and it's morphed over the years. Uh, and then of course they put in that uh, nice coloring to give it that fluorescent green. And apparently it tastes better at room temperature, according to Doctor Bill. No, that's <laughs> wrong. And and remember, Doctor Bill only drinks diet Mountain Dew. Right. Now I'll tell you, I I tried to give I had a case. Someone gave me a case of diet Mountain Dew. And uh, I talked to him, and we were just like, you know, uh, I was getting ready to ship it to him, but it was the summer, mm. and it got out very hot in the garage, and the cans exploded. It would explode. Well, it probably would explode on the way there. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> most likely. But that was not something I'd ever want to clean up again. That was horrible. So you don't drink diet? I don't drink diet anything. Uh, pretty much every artificial flavoring, even stevia, uh, just tastes horrible to me. The only one that I can stand is sorbitol. And that's usually what they put in like gums and very small mints. You can't have a yeah. whole lot of sorbitol because it makes you leaky. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. my dad has the same issue. He, he cannot drink anything diet. If it's if it's diet, he doesn't want to know it because yeah. it it tastes horrible to him. Right, and to to add more to this, if like let's say I'm in a restaurant and somebody on the other side of the restaurant opens up a uh, uh, the sweet and low the, with, mm-hmm. with the the saccharin, I taste it in my mouth Ugh. from across the restaurant. You have Wolverine senses for that it, stuff. It, for that, for some reason, that just really it catches me worse than anything. I mean, cigarette smoke is pretty bad. That that also catches me. You can My cigarette, cigarette smokes that way with me. Yeah. yeah, but but yeah, you open up a sweet and low, and within you know hundred feet of me, I'm gonna know it. Well, it's, it's yeah. like Swamp Thing yeah. has access to the green. Brian has access to the diet. <laughs> <laughs> to the pink. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, like, I try every one of those. Every time they come out with a new uh, new sweetener, when I heard about stevia, I was like. Maybe this will finally be it. And no, it's got that same crappy taste that just ruins the flavor of whatever it is that you're you're wanting to enjoy. Well, most things, and I'll tell this because Vanilla does, she's like Atkinson. You know, Atkins, she does a lot of low-carb stuff. And some things that they try to make low-carb, so don't bother. It's like it's not worth it. It's, it's just it tastes awful. Might as well eat the box. <clears throat> exactly. Or just I'm just going to do without. I'm not going to have a low-carb some things are not bad, but some things that are either sugar-free, it's like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll have a cheat day and I'll just eat it instead of having to go through this, um, you know, this, this, it's, um, um, it's like, um, in The Fly when, uh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, transmits the, the, the steak and he cooks it and she goes, oh, it tastes different. Tim Sum's off about it. Uh, That's what it's like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It tastes artificial. Uh, it's like that. Uh, um, uh. Uh, I, you, you just made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh gosh! Um, no, there, there, though there is a. Uh, it, someone had talked about how pizza is great except for the crust. If you get a pizza without the crust, that would be great. And uh, there's a local chain of pizza chain here called Marco's Pizza that now sells pizza bowls, and it's yes. basically pizza yeah. without the crust. 
Yeah, we, so we have melted cheese and meat. Oh. It's melted cheese and you know the the, the toppings. In this case, the you can get the, the meat flavored one. But you know, tomato sauce is really not that high in carbs. No, um, no, it's not. And 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 so yeah, it's like I, I was like, okay, I got to try that. And oh my gosh, that was damn good. Well, they make a, a really eats these two. They make a it's a chip. I don't know if it's a keto chip or something, but it's basically it looks like. Do you ever make grilled cheese and cheese spills over and just burns? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it gets crispy. That's yep. what the chips are. It's just burnt. It's just mm-hmm. crispy cheese. That's all it is. And so it's low carb. So as long as it's not too crispy, that sounds really good. <laughs> she no, likes it. Is. It. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Then pork rind. She likes but pork rind. It's, rinds it's too, basically it's basically the charp of cheese. You know what the charp yeah. is, right? Yeah. It's like uh, if you go to a barbecue place, you want bark. It's yeah. Like mm-hmm. that. You know? well, do, do you know what the the term charp means? No. Melted it's cheese. the one. It's the one mutant green potato chip you find in every bag. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually uh, a sniglet that they came out with on, uh, what, not necessarily the news? Oh, geez, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they had things like Emmerglow, which is that, that, that green glow at the tops and bottoms of escalators, and Cubits, which is broken up chip pieces of ice in the bottom of your ice cube trays. <laughs> I don't know why I can't forget these things. And my daughter doesn't even know what an ice cube tray is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, we've drifted so far off of even comic books. <laughs> we started so far off of comic books. Yeah, we we, we started a deep tangent, but uh... but I, I knew we would. I knew this, it, Gene. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I, I know. I know the last time you were on was actually the the Fantastic Four. Yeah, we were talking the, about the Fantastic Four movie before we actually saw it, knowing how bad it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, Fan Four Stick, Fan Four Stick, which I still haven't seen. <laughs> Oh, it's, you should watch it just as a train wreck. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch it, but I'm going to watch it with the riff tracks going. Hey, but, but you know, the thing is, props to Kate Marsh. She really tried. She wanted to read the books, and Josh mm. Trank wouldn't let her. That I, I, is I, a big red flag right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't read the source material. <laughs> well, it's like J.J. Abrams said, yeah, I'm not a Star Trek fan, but yeah, I'll direct the movie. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, don't get me started on those either. Yeah, I want to thank I want to thank you for coming on too, Jane. It always uh, elevates our show a little bit when we have somebody. You know, we're you know it makes us feel a little more professional. You know, to have uh, um, uh, a, a much more experienced podcaster come on. So, well, thank you very much for having me on and for the uh, the compliment. Just saying, I've been doing it longer. <laughs> Although, I must say, you guys have put out more episodes than I have over all the shows I've ever been on, so... Well, you know, this pandemic has really helped increase our, our, our output, since we yeah. really don't have anything else to do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay that all at the feet of Brian, because Brian has kind of been the driving force of... I've, I, I'll admit, I was always the one that's kind of dragging my feet when we couldn't get shows out, because I felt like either I wasn't prepared enough, or, or whatever, just couldn't find the time, and now that we've got more of a I think having a more of a Sunday morning kind of schedule helps mm-hmm. instead of thinking, when can we do it? We know we're going to do it pretty much every Sunday morning. You know, we skip it once in a while, but that helps us stay on track. And again, I'm going I'm to 
give Brian all the credit for that because he's kind of been the one that's been pushing us to do that and moving us forward. So, and they've all been excellent episodes. So the uh-huh. more frequent and good topics. So I'm I'm real happy, even though I'm behind. <laughs> and, and, and having the having the other the other guys on there, David Thompson, John Hyatt, and Kirk Greenfield, definitely gives different perspectives that Tim and I because Tim and I really agree a lot on a lot of things <laughs> and you know when you get Kirk on there and Kirk has an opposing opinion oh man mm-hmm. you know it's going to go crazy <laughs> yeah but it's a good thing Kirk wasn't on this episode otherwise we've been hearing a, a bell every five seconds <laughs> <laughs> this is true. true this is true That's I'm going to kill that cowbell <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, but thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for covering this issue. Like I said, it's one of the first ones I had when I was starting to actually collect comics. And it was uh, great rereading it, great going over it. And I was thrilled to talk about every single subject we talked about today. And I apologize to the listeners for <laughs> one comic taking two and a half hours. Oh, that's, that's, oh, no, that's, that's standard that's, for us. That's standard yeah, for us. Par for the course, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tim, do we have any emails? We do have an email. Let me uh, let me pull up my my emails, and we have one from Prophet uh, Prophet uh, uh, Doctor Allen, um, and it says, "Do you want me to read it?" Please. Okay. It says, "Burners, I've enjoyed listening to your episodes, especially the ones you released in the past few months. Consistent quality content." Well, thank you, Professor Allen. I have recently read some more of the Star Trek New Visions not books from Hoopla and have enjoyed them more often than not. As a creative effort, uh, it is impressive. As original Star Trek content, the results are good, but a bit more mixed. One of the great advantages that comics have as a method for storytelling is the lack of limitations. Uh, any special effects, any locations, any character design. If you can imagine it, you can draw it. If you can include it. But with these stories, Burn is specifically giving himself a serious limitation in terms of the stills that he can manipulate for telling his stories. From his perspective, it must be fun to work with these limitations, but it is a limitation. There is only so much you can do uh, with creating new aliens, new planets, new ship designs, new crew members, and I do not think those limitations do... Oh, and I do think those limitations do hamper the storytelling somewhat. Again, they are impressive, creative, and artistic achievements and I'm sure Byrne has a blast putting them together. Uh, if you want to talk more about any of these, uh, more of these, if you want to talk about more of these sometime, I'm sure I'll enjoy you folk talking about them. Uh, keep, uh, take care and keep up the good work. Professor Allen, Relatively Geeky Podcast, Darkness to Light. Hail Doom. <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Professor Allen. Really appreciate the email. And you can always email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com, or you can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We could always use a good five-star five review. Just like uh, Gene Hendricks, I think you left us the very first review that we had on, on uh, Apple Podcasts. Oh, wow. Back is, when it, it was is it still on there? Is the no, it's, it's actually fallen off. Oh, nuts. So, uh, yeah, that, that one's falling off. There's one actually out there from Professor Allen from September 2015, but I think yours was, like, right after we first came out. And it was it was a very nice one. I appreciate it. Well, so, I mean, appreciate so you see, it. you leave us a, a five-star review and bring in the show. Yeah. 
It, it, it'll take a work. few years, but <laughs> you'll, you'll get here eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gene, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back another time. And if you ever come across a thought or an idea of something you'd like to cover with us, be sure to let us know and we'll make a, we'll make room for you. Absolutely. Oh, I, I definitely will. I definitely will. I, I, there's a mess of burn stuff out there. So I will, as I'm doing my various reading projects, if I come across something, I will shoot you a message. Excellent, excellent. Hey, Tim, do you know what the other guy... See, I, I am so used to calling them interns, but we told them they're not <laughs> interns anymore. But what do we call them now? They're lackeys. Lackeys, okay. Aren't the lackeys doing something today? Aren't they recording something, too? I think they are doing their own little uh, show. I hope they talked about it. I don't know. I haven't been... I haven't been I'm not I'm not micromanaging them, but yeah, they, they said they, they were going to... They took us out of their communication loop. <laughs> Uh oh. Yeah. Uh oh. It's our it's our super secret project. So okay. So these guys, they're they're making each of you thinking that's your idea for this grandmaster plan. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, I'm just afraid that they're going to cover something really cool like Days of Future Past or Generations before we get a chance. No, they're not. I don't think they won't do Days of Future Past. We talked no, about that no. too much. But, yeah. Um, they're probably just something that we didn't think about and like, oh, I wish we read recovered that. But uh, that's that's the idea about, you know, that's the great thing about having, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, right? You get lots of perspectives brought to the table. It yep. comes back to Star Trek. It always comes back to Star Trek. Uh, let me see. Oh, you know what? It looks like they're talking about Galactus taking Frankie Ray. Oh, oh that's good. That's a good story. No, we need to cover that. <laughs> Oh my God! We can't cover uh, all of, some of the we Some can't. of the single greatest ep- issues that Byrne did on this Fantastic Four run, and these guys are coming in to do it? Hell no! We can't. I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we can't. We can't hug it all. This, this sounds like true. Scott Gardner's reaction to when Michael Bailey and I covered Generations on my show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I think that's about that. And again, Gene, thanks for coming on. Again, thank you for having me. I want to thank you, Gene. Always welcome. Always. Tim, do Um, we know what we're doing next time? We don't know. So that's going to be a surprise to both the listeners and to us. So we're going to have to talk off air and find out what we're going to cover. Yeah. And for those of you that are reading X-Men Elsewhen, the next issue starts not this coming Monday. Oh, it looks like December 7th. So two weeks and one day. Because... Next Monday is the, well, tomorrow's 23rd, then there's the 30th, and then December 7th. So, two weeks and one day before Elswin issue 17 starts. Just enough time to get caught up. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, yep. exactly. They're, they're quick um, reads. You can get caught up pretty quick. But, I mean, the thing is, it's like, it's not, there's very few of those patented burned data dumps that, uh, oh, he got, really? that he got well known for in the mid-late 80s. Um, he's he's doing that a lot less. He's trying to do more with imagery than words. So uh, it 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 I I wouldn't say. I mean they they take a lot longer to read than the modern comic books. You can read in just a few minutes, but um, they're not so verbose as to. It's not not like you get Claremont fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Claremont was always uh, you get the next you get the next issue and you like you have to go back and read the previous one because it was like what happened you know because he was always. Spinning well, Tom, so many yarns together. Mm-hmm. Tom Orzachowski would look at the the pencil pages, and he goes, "Wow, look at all that blank space! I'm gonna have to fill that up, aren't I?" 
<laughs> Could you use a few less words? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm done. All right. Tim, you want to take us out? Uh, or yeah, should we let Gene do it? Because he did such a great job of bringing us in. That was really cool. He can, yeah, let him. He can book us. He can do bookends. Okay, that'll work. <clears throat> so, for the Third Degree Burn podcast, I am Gene Hendricks. Tim. Next. I, <laughs> you can do it. I am Tim Elliott. And I am Brian Hughes. <laughs> Be sure to listen to the next episode, but remember to bring your death certificate. I think I <laughs> a diaphragm there. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. It's all, all in the, the throat positioning. <laughs> yeah, I gotta work on my glottal stops. Okay. <laughs> uh, cut that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's post credits. That's right. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, I think we're uh, again. Thank Gene. I want to thank Brian. I thought this is a, a great show. Good conversation. Um, and uh, hope to have Gene back on real soon. Uh, yeah. Until then, I think uh, I think we're going to sign off and let everybody have their Sunday back. Well, <laughs> I get to go get a drink, go to the bathroom, and jump right back on Skype because I have audio dramas to record. Oh, cool! And I'm going to be editing this one, so I'll be on for a while. Mm. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, again, thank you very much, guys, for inviting me on. It was a blast. Right, it was you're a welcome. pleasure. Yeah, thank Always you. Always a pleasure. All right. I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn <laughs>